Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. My name is Shay Kamrinsky, and this is Two Temples, the podcast providing a platform for guests to talk about their psychedelic experiences. We discuss how these experiences have helped us learn lessons and overcome personal issues. My goal is to help end the stigma surrounding psychedelics. You can help by sharing this podcast with your friends and on social media. I believe we can undo the decades of lies about psychedelics and expose their healing potential by sharing story after story until the truth is undeniable. Today's guest is Philosopher Bonnie. She has a bachelor's degree in philosophy with a minor in psychology, as well as a master's in social work from Rutgers University. She is an integration specialist, trauma recovery expert, and a creative writer, among many other things. She is also the creator of Verbal Acupuncture, which she believes mixes very well with psychedelics. You can find her ebook, Downloads from the Universe, Volume 1, on her website, philosopherbonnie.com, and follow her on Instagram, at philosopherbonnie. In this episode, Bonnie tells us how cannabis, DMT, LSD, and psilocybin helped her overcome past relationship traumas, as well as other personal issues. She also tells us about a DMT trial she is a part of, along with many other stories. If you have a comment or anything you'd like to share on the podcast, please email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact me through the Facebook page and Instagram. Two Temples is now on most podcast platforms, so make sure to show some love on whatever app you're listening on. Thanks and enjoy. Hey, how's it going, Bonnie? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Um, yeah, sorry about that wait. Um, that's okay. It was perfect. I'm telling you, the sirens just finished. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, like, yeah. was it just outside your door? Uh, it was uh, on the next block. Okay. So, it, were you able to see anything, like any cars or anything going by? I I did through the bathroom window, like you know, through the backyards. Okay. Yeah. B- bunch of cops, or you said it was a parade? Yeah, it looked like a parade. It looked like uh, fire engines and stuff. Huh. I think it might have been a Christmas thing. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, perfect timing then. The universe is on our side. Yeah. <laughs> How's the sound levels for you? The heat's on in the background. Can you hear it? No, I don't hear anything. It's perfect. Good. I'm glad. So uh, where are you from? I am actually from very close to where I am. I grew up in central New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn. Born in Brooklyn? Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you like the, the little bit of a change or... Um, well, I just traveled across the country eight times in the last six years. So I've kind of been all over and, um, I was just in Oregon until fire season got ridiculous. What were you traveling across the country for? Just to see it. Um, I I had been really, really sick, um, with anaphylactic allergies and just all kinds of digestive issues and couldn't really travel because of it. And, um, 2014 I cured my anaphylactic food allergies and my unemployment was up and my lease was up and I was 42 and I'd never really seen much of the country at all um and uh I just got distracted because the sirens are starting up again (laughs) hopefully it won't get hopefully it won't get too loud but um, I don't hear them so I'm sure it'll be all right yeah we'll see (laughs) (laughs) coming down this block we'll see but um yeah, so I just, I couldn't imagine just getting another job just to have a job, just to keep a roof over my head. It was, you know, um, yeah, and this ties into, I guess, a topic of discussion, too, is, um, you know, psychedelics really helped me get there. And I'm super nervous about talking about it, too, and I think it's hysterical that I manifested Cyrus, <laughs> <laughs> because... I've been, you know, I've been interviewed before. I've been on the radio a couple of times. I was on a cable TV show, but I was all talking about my studies about homelessness. And um, 
and I've had a couple of mini documentaries done on me about my travels, but this is the first time I'm ever talking about psychedelics in kind of a public way. So I'm a little nervous. Okay. Well, if it makes you more comfortable, I can always leave it with the last name and just have it Bonnie. Nope. Nope. It's no? fine. You can, okay. and you can, you can tag me. It's philosopher. Bonnie is the brand that I'm building. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking at this uh, kind of write up that you shared um, yesterday. Uh, just kind of going through your uh, like services offered and stuff, and so yeah. you're you're a philosopher. Like you went to. I have a bachelor's degree. Yeah, I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy from Rutgers. And if you happen to be in the philosophy world, that's a fairly prestigious degree. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know much about philosophy, but like I'm interested in it because of psychedelics. You know, I had a a trip where it just like I went and laid out on in the truck of my bed in the bed of my truck. Sorry. And it started raining and, you know, I just sort of saw life as like raindrops and you sort of reflect all the people around you and stuff. And I did a write up about it, but I don't know, that sort of got me interested in philosophy. But like I said, I haven't like studied any, any of it or anything. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think that uh, I think that the people who create things like Rutgers philosophy departments, uh, want you to believe that studying what a bunch of dead people had to say about things is a lot more important than your experience of things. But that's also because most of them haven't done any psychedelics. So, right. you know, I think that our experience, you know, like I, I'm not a philosopher in the ways that somebody with like a PhD in philosophy is a philosopher, you know, I'm, I'm not going to talk about like Hume or, you know, I talk about Socrates sometimes, but you know, generally, I'm not talking about people who have said things. I'm talking about people who have experienced things and, and our own experiences of being alive. Um, now, can you hear the sirens? <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're coming in a little bit, but not too bad. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's just the funniest thing ever. Because the truth is, is, I really believed Punky Brewster. I don't know if you know the reference, but I really believed Punky Brewster that drugs were bad. <laughs> you know? Is that, so, that, like, uh, that lion? Like the dare lion or whatever? Well, she was, um, there was a TV Canadian. show when I was growing up called Punky Brewster and it's Soleil Moon Fry was the actress. Um, but there was like an episode about like, you know, they're doing drugs in the treehouse. It's like going back to watch it now is hysterical. <laughs> but I mean, I just really believed all the dare. I believed all of it. I, I believed drugs were bad. Um, and so, I mean, I didn't even smoke weed for the first time until... Um, I know exactly the date, actually. It was January 25th, 1991. It was the night I walked out of my parents' house in the middle of my senior year of high school. Um, and then I didn't do any psychedelics at all. I did nothing other than smoke weed and drink. And that was only for the first like couple of years that I smoked weed. And then I didn't for like 15 years. I didn't do psychedelics until after I had a master's degree. Yeah, oh, see, that's right choo. down my clock. <laughs> yep. This is, I mean, I'm, this is the funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming for you. I, They're so looking for you. <laughs> Hang on, let me see if I can go into a room that's further away from these windows. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's not too loud, so I'm not too yeah, worried well, about it. We'll be better in here. A little bit of so, humor to it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I think it's just so funny. But um, was I saying something interesting? If not, you can ask me another question. Uh, I kind of lost track here, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, what were you we talking about? We were talking about uh, how you didn't really follow the, or like talk a lot about um, like what philosophers said back in the day or whatever. 
Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, experientially. Oh, no, when right. I was just talking about the sirens and believing Punky Brewster and all that. Right. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I kind of feel like um, that almost made, you know, how they said that uh, weed is a gateway drug and stuff like that. But I feel like the only way that it is a gateway drug is when they tell you it's bad and then you try it and then you realize it's good. And then right. you're like, well, what else are they lying to me about? You know, it, yeah. it, that's the only thing that I can see it as like a gateway drug. It's not like you get high and you're like, I want to do meth today. Right. Know? Yeah. No, I smoked for the first time. It was, you know, kind of amazing. Somebody rescued me. Um, from a, a difficult situation that night and he took right. me he, he, he like looked around his life he's like who can help me and he took me to his friend's house and um you know i smoked weed out of a coke can for the first time and i i felt i felt at peace i felt in my body i felt calm i felt just alive for the first time in my whole life and it was like it, that started the little seed of doubt in my mind of is this really wrong but i still believed it and then i married somebody who really believed it so for those like 20 years that we were together um i yeah i just didn't and i drank a lot because he drank a lot and it anyway <laughs> isn't it odd that like people who drink are so against smoking weed it's just it's odd to me you know yeah, I think it got programmed into our brains from like people we worshipped on TV or at least cared about or followed or whatever. Yeah, but like you can see the damage that alcohol does, you know, like everybody knows somebody that's had a DUI or multiple DUIs or, you know, been in car accidents or yeah, you know, had their stomachs pumped or something like I don't see that any different than ODing on any other drug, really. Yeah, and it's like not even really possible to OD on weed, so. No, yeah. you just fall asleep, maybe. Puke. Yeah, I've, I've puked once. I I mean I ate the first time I went to Oregon I ate a brownie um and didn't understand Oregon brownies versus like <laughs> you know New Jersey brownies because that's actually what started this whole journey was that somebody brought a brownie to one of my parties um in, at shortly before my divorce after grad school you know kind of in that in that realm and um but i had a brownie in oregon and i slept for three days so i mean that's a thing you can definitely take too much but nothing terrible happens to you except you wake up rested so like did but, you wake up hungover at all or like well i mean it, it took a couple of days yeah because <laughs> i just had way too much i mean okay. i just didn't i just didn't understand that trim is basically free in oregon so people just make their stuff really really strong <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah that, here it costs awesome. money but, uh, <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. but that's, I Sorry? mean, I guess that's, oh no. So I, I had just mentioned that the brownie is what actually really started me on this healing journey was I was on like 20 different medications for asthma and allergies and fibromyalgia and IBS. And, you know, each drug caused side effects that, for, that caused me to be on a different prescription. I was on heart medicine. I was just on, I had everything. I had every benzo. I had every painkiller. I had everything I wanted. And I was just taking the minimum that I could to get through each day. And somebody brought a brownie to one of my parties and I was high for 24 hours, but I was out of pain for four whole days. Wow. And it was, it was just like, okay, what else is possible? And that was just like the beginning of me questioning everything that I had been taught about everything. You know, I was stuck in a marriage I wasn't happy with. I was stuck in a life I wasn't happy with. Nothing was really working for me. And then all of a sudden I was out of pain and I started looking around saying, all right, now what? <laughs> So you sort of saw that the that there's better possibilities out there. Then is that what you're saying? 
Well, I saw that there was a possibility of being something other than in debilitating pain all the time. And, right. and once, once you can get past debilitating pain, then like a whole lot of things are really, you know, possible. The world gets a bit brighter. Yeah, it, it gets a lot less like being in a closed in box and you get to start to see that the box isn't necessarily something that has to be there. Yeah, that's that's so good to hear, you know, like it just it hurts my soul that people are like, like you said, taking drugs and then taking other drugs to combat the side effects of those drugs. And it's just yeah. but then you can eat a brownie and, you know, or, yeah. you know, smoke a joint or take CBD drops or whatever it is. And, and that yeah, was whatever. illegal for years. Like what? Yeah, it's still illegal here for the next 10 days or so. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it became, I can't believe the state that you could have gone. I mean, one of the reasons I left New Jersey in 2014 was because I knew that weed was one of my drugs, but also knew that I needed to go find the right strains for me. And the only way to do that was to go to a place where it was legal. Because it's not like I could, you know, I had a friend that had a friend that had a friend. And it's not like I could say to him, like, can you get me something that's good specifically for pain? I don't know anything about it. But, you know, um, it just didn't work that way. So, but um but I got back and it's going to be legal on the first. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, for yeah. medicinal use or for recreational it, use as well? It, it's been medical for a couple of years now and okay. recreational is uh, January 1st. I think okay. they haven't ironed out the laws yet, but they voted on it. So. Yeah. Hopefully they do a better job than here in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. But I think that's, I, you know, I mean, we could talk, we could spend an entire podcast on, on policy. But um, I, I think they're trying to maximize the profit, so they're going to screw it up. But, um, you know, it, 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 every step we get that leans into entheogens in general, I think, is bringing about a new renaissance. So I think, you know, any step in the right direction is, is a good thing. Yeah, um, that's why I'm like, I, I bought some stocks in MindMed and Numi. Like, they're both psychedelic um, companies. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel kind of weird about it, like making, you know, trying to make money off psychedelics and stuff. But at the same time, you know, these companies are the ones that will be able to make it legal and stuff. So I don't know. They're, it's kind of going both ways for me, but I'm excited that like things are just booming so much. It's really going somewhere this year. Yeah. I'm excited too because I feel like, you know, once, once entheogens are normalized enough in general that, excuse me, the things that we do um, to keep ourselves in these imaginary boxes we've put ourselves in, you know, we're just going to look around and be like, I don't really know why we're doing this. So, you know, um, and and once we get to a point where um, enough of the bell curve um, has that kind of mindset, then um, I think things really shift and become a lot more fair for a lot more people um which is yeah yeah it just takes a, a decently strong psychedelic experience to see that like there's a lot better that we can be doing right now <laughs> in terms of a lot of things yeah well i mean my first psilocybin experience was um was after my divorce after like well after grad school i think it might have been I'm well past the statute of limitations, so I think I can probably name the year. I think it was probably 2010 or 2011. Um, and I guess I'm really worried about stuff like that. It's so funny 
you know, I can talk about anything, but it, there's still like this good girl thing in me that <laughs> still really just wants to like know that Punky Brewster approves, you know, it's the funniest okay. thing. <laughs> so, but um, I, I had spent the whole previous part of my life. I mean, it was in my late thirties by then. I had spent the whole previous part of my life um, trying to find connection, you know, trying to find the the thing that let me know that I was safe and okay energetically. And I had I had done a lot of relationships and, you know, all kinds of things that were just not necessarily the healthiest thing to just try to find that. I took psilocybin for the first time and I felt connected to one and everything like I did when I was a child and got the 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 download, you know, I was able to grok that um, there was nothing that was separating me from the experience of being wholly alive other than blockages. I had always gone looking for something to make the connection. And then my understanding shifted entirely from the connection is always there in the same way that the sun is always out. Just sometimes our experience of it is blocked, you know, with okay. the sun, sometimes by the whole planet, you know, when it's night. But you know, it's always out. So the connection is always there. We are always one with everything. Just sometimes our experience of that is blocked. And that shifted everything for me. And I think that will shift everything for everyone. Once everybody gets to get experience that experientially, not everybody does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was very, uh, I don't know, selfish, I guess, um, before I really had a kind of mind opening uh, ego death type of experience. Uh -huh. And then it sort of like opened me up to like, wow, like there's no difference between me and that other person over there or, you know, like it's just, you know, uh, circumstance and experience that um, that makes us different, you know, and like our body chemistry. Um, but we're all like living beings with feelings and, you know, that, you know, could use a help up or a pat on the back sometimes or, you know, like. That, that golden rule, you know, teach others how you want to be treated. It, it really like, I don't know, brought that out in me, you know? Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I think that it's such a healing. It, I, I think that given the right set and setting and given the guides and given, you know, the, our best circumstances in general, because without that, sometimes it's just not true. But I think that given all that, our experiences um, are so universal, you know? I feel like it would create so much compassion in the world. So it's, it's an interesting, you know, 10, 15, 20 years that are coming up that I'm going to get to witness, that we're going to get to witness um, of everything shifting. And I think that as, um, as these things become more available, it's going to just be an incredible, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be definitely be a shift. Like, I don't want to say awakening, but, you know, like, I don't know, I sort of had that feeling of, you know, it, I, I don't know, you, you hit your head or whatever, and then you sort of like shake it off and you kind of regain focus. It, it just felt like I, my mind was, you know, all just gone. And then like psychedelics really helped me focus in and see that like, you know, things are weird and can be better. I don't know. I don't know how many times I have to say that, but. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, my, my, my experience with, um, that just reminded me of something, but um, my experience with with psilocybin was that 
all of the things that were blocking me from connecting to to anyone through my heart um all those blockages were gone and then you know they come back but i got to see that those were blockages um lsd um was a whole different experience and that was a couple of years even after that that for me feels like it cleared the cookies it cleared the permissions in my head you know okay. so it was like um it was like I would go and approach a new situation and the old way of being would no longer be the default, you know? So like disrupted patterns. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, I'm not thinking of a good example right now. It's just something that came to mind when you were saying that, but. Yeah, yeah no, I definitely know what you mean. Like I, I experienced the same thing with LSD and that's why I like it so much is um, yeah, I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm a stubborn person and I don't know, I, I have a little bit of anger issues sometimes. Um, and it really helped me to like stop before I, you know, get upset about something and just like, you know, it happens. How can I like do it differently next time? Or, you know, yes, yeah. disrupting those patterns. Gave you more space between stimulus and response. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, cleared the mind. And, and like you said, with uh, deleting cookies, like it, it literally feels like there's like more space in my mind and it's less like congested and everything totally yeah yeah um so how much uh lsd experience do you have uh not much actually but enough um yeah, yeah it's you know the reason i didn't do psychedelics until my late 30s was because i was really terrified um i was really just terrified of having a bad trip and like ending up in a psychiatric hospital honestly um okay. So I, I have been very respectful of LSD because I, I, I have seen what happens to people when um, kind of their identity file gets fully deleted and they have a difficult time building a new one. So um, I, I've never had more than just, um, you know, like one dose. Um, and mostly I've microdosed. But I did microdose for like 30 days in a row. Um, How was that? Like a, a tiny, tiny, tiny microdose. You know, it was interesting because I was, um, this is so, I can't believe I'm talking about this. Um, <laughs> I, I, I stopped wearing a bra a number of years ago and I'm fairly, fairly large chested, so it's fairly significant um, because I recognized that it was like stifling my lymph system, but I was okay. having a really profoundly difficult time walking around in this body, in this world. Um, and I happened to be in New Mexico at the time. Um, and I, I was just having a really, really difficult time with it. And then I microdosed LSD one day and I noticed I could just walk around and it didn't bother me that I had no social anxiety at all, that I had no worries about what other people's judgments of me were. I, I, I just didn't care. And it was a tiny, tiny dose. I was taking like a minuscule dose. Um, but it was amazing because in those 30 days, I pretty much cured my social anxiety. You know, yeah. um, I mean, I still have it, I guess, but it's not diagnosable anymore. It's not like causing me serious dysfunction. That, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I cured my generalized anxiety and my anxiety and my fears. My, like my, I, had, I had like these horrible phobias of, of flying insects, especially moths and butterflies. <laughs> um, I'm serious. Traumatic childhood experience. But psilocybin cured all that, you know, just me being able to, in fact, my first trip 
there was like this really big like a centipede kind of bug on my wall and my friend that was with me fortunately there's somebody with me because i was having an interesting experience okay but, it was um, actually on your wall you weren't just <laughs> yeah there was, okay, there was, okay. it was actually on my wall <laughs> So I named it Bob and I spent a couple of hours just kind of hanging out with Bob and trying to understand Bob's experience of the world and understanding that Bob was just a creature just like me in an environment doing the best it could knowing given what it knew, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so I, I'm no longer afraid of bugs. And in fact, I really had like a paralyzing fear of, um, of moths and butterflies with specifically moths but generalized to butterflies because of a very old childhood trauma. Um, and I can now actually have them land on me and be fine with it, but it took, it took many years and a lot of sessions for me to cure that. Uh, was that the microdosing or you, sorry, this is the yep. psilocybin. Uh, both actually, oh, cause okay. I, 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 I did a, I did a microdose of psilocybin for 30 days also. Oh. Um, and that was before I'd heard any, you know, anybody recommending that you do like three days on or a couple days off or whatever. It was just, I decided to just try it. And I was taking again, minuscule doses when I was doing the psilocybin, I was just like pinching off the tiniest bit of a stem that I possibly could. Um, and it was all to cure anxiety. It was all to cure like, you know, that there's this physical experience of anxiety that I'm feeling now, like my heart's racing and all this stuff. Um, and then there's like the mind racing part of anxiety. And the, the LSD, I think, works brilliantly on the mind racing and the psilocybin works brilliantly on the body. So. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, it's helped me with uh, getting over my spider phobia, um, LSD mostly. Um, Interesting. In that same sense of just like, you know, this is just another being experiencing the world through, you know, that body or whatever. And, yeah. you know, like, do I really have to kill it? Like, what's the point in me killing it? Um, just because I'm scared of it. And I, I see like posts shared on Facebook about like, uh, you know, just not killing spiders, just letting them out and, you know, how it's if you're in that situation where you're just like being you and you know something comes along that has the ability to you know hurt you or whatever it would be nice that if they didn't and you know if like your karma right. worked in the way that <laughs> you know in the same sort of way so I don't know I've just sort of adapted that and if I see a spider I just let it outside which right now it's really cold out so I don't know if I'm just making it suffer more or not but I, I hear um. you. There was a worm in my kitchen yesterday, like an inchworm kind of thing hanging off. I took like a little video of it and, and didn't end up posting it, but there was this like little inchworm hanging off the microwave hood in the kitchen. And I, I spent quite a long time looking at it. I'm like, I don't know how you got here. I'm like, I can't even imagine what your life prior to me discovering you was like. I'm like, but I can't leave you here because I'm about to cook and you're going to die if I do that. So I have to intervene. What would you like me to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just I, I looked at the, the possible life cycle of this poor worm you know I imagine it like cocoons and turns into a flying thing but it would need to eat a lot in order to do that and there's not a lot of things to eat in the house and there's snow outside so I really just sat with it for quite a while and I tried to I, I decided it needed to go outside because that was its best chance of being part of the life cycle in one way or another and I tried very hard to put it on this bush um, but uh it just wasn't, it just wasn't cooperating and it ended up falling into the snow. And I'm like, oh, I tried, you know, like yeah. that's, that's all I would want for, you know, some being that was capable of doing something with me to do is at least try given its perspective, you know, to try to pay attention to what I'm up to and see if it can figure out how to help me, you know, but, uh, 
Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, not just sort of, oh, it's a bug squish. It's like, well, I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm just existing. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, so. Since my experience with, with, uh, with psychedelics in general, I, I'm not able to kill anything, actually. And right. I have a, a lot of cognitive dissonance, even about gardening, because for me to decide that this weed is a weed that doesn't get a chance to live so that these other things can live, I feel like I'm playing God in a way that doesn't make me comfortable. Hmm. Um, but yet I'm happy to eat meat, but I, I couldn't kill it. My, like if I had to kill the animals, I wouldn't. And if I had to, like, if I was the only one that was responsible for bringing food into my life, I don't know that I could, I just, I don't, I don't know that I could do it. Um, right. I think, I think I would decide that my life, you know, it, it, it really, this is why I'm not, uh, this is why I don't talk about like, what people think as far as philosophy goes, because I've just experientially developed my own. Right. I think that my life is equal to the life of that worm. I don't think that I'm, my life is more important than it's. I think that we're all part of the universe experiencing itself and that we're all, you know, a hair on the head of a thing. And that, you know, just because I have more agency than that worm does, doesn't mean that I'm more valuable. Yeah, because, like, that worm is crucial for, you know, some part of the way the world works. Um, like, I, I was just watching a, I can't remember what show it was, uh, some animal documentary. And, like, it was about, like, woodcutter ants and how they, like, you know, have their role in, you know, the rainforest or wherever they were. And it's just kind of cool that everything has their own, you know, purpose in the process. And, you know, like bears will eat berries and they'll go like, you know, poop out the seeds and stuff and spread them around and monkeys too. And like, but then where do humans come in with that? You know, it just seems like we take everything. Uh, we do. Yeah. I feel like we are the cancer cells, you know? Yeah. Um, I felt that a lot lately, actually. Like we're like, yeah, really a negative force on the earth, at least lately. Yeah. Well, I think that anything that grows to a significant enough number becomes, you know, um, a, a problem. Um, but it, and if you think about it, I mean, ants are doing the same thing kind of that we are, you know. Um, I don't know that much about the ant world, so we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about it. But I've done a lot of observation of ants um, in my lifetime. And it seems to me like they multiply and they just take over things. Um, and they don't really have an awful lot of thought, it seems, on, you know, what kind of destruction they're doing, but they're tiny. So, yeah. you know, um, and they can infiltrate a lot without taking up a lot of space from our perspective. Um, but we take up so much space, you know, I mean, I'm sitting on an acre of property that is, you know, I'm one person on an acre of property, you know. Yeah, so, and a, a million ants can fit in, I don't know, how oh, many square feet, you know. And, yeah, uh, like our tunnels, we're, you know, tunneling pipelines all over the place and stuff. And like, obviously, that's a little bit worse for the planet than uh, a couple ants, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, ants also stuff. don't have opposable thumbs, you know. Yeah. I mean, if when ants develop opposable thumbs or the ability for them to like, you know, create robot-y things, we're in trouble, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, but I mean, they're getting there, too. Their generations are shorter than ours are, too. So, you know, but I feel like every, you know, every piece of existence on this planet is doing the same thing. 
you know, we're all propagating, we're all doing what makes sense from our own perspective, you know, and living life the way that it seems to make sense from our own perspectives. Um, and I think if humans understood that, we would be a lot less destructive. Yeah. Yeah, because, I don't know, I see the Earth sort of like a body. And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, <clears throat> the trash in the oceans and, you know, all this, you know, the landfills and stuff, that seems like, you know, very cancerous to me and like plugging up mm -hmm. the flow of the Earth and everything. And I don't know, I just kind of relate the two a lot yeah me too and not only that but i feel like um you know the fractal and a fractal and a fractal whatever's going on in the outside world's also going on in my internal world mm -hmm. um you know and then beyond that you know I, I got the download at some point i started writing this thing about um about howard the derpy dog that, that taught <laughs> me about um, that taught me about the microbiome that it was carrying and how it, it it's wagging its tail and it's happy and it, that's the podcast for the the bacteria that's in it and stuff. But you know we have three to four pounds of microbes living in us and on us and in a very real real well way we are an earth to them um, and we are a god to them in a very real way. So you know we are on. Um, we are on an earth, but we are earth. We are of earth and we are a universe in, in that way. And again, if we related to each other like that, we'd have a lot less problems. Yeah. Sometimes I, I, well, I'm, I'm sort of in the belief right now that instead of like the big bang, like maybe it was the big birth or something. And, you know, we're inside of just some living being, but we can't really see like everything that connects it, you know, like all the flowing and, you know, what yeah. exactly everything is like it could be a living being and like you know we just don't understand how it works well i think in the same way that the bacteria on my left foot couldn't possibly understand the experience of the bacteria that's living you know in my stomach um or my intestines or whatever um that we can't possibly understand what's going on when we zoom out that you know i feel like our experience of our environment has got to be as as fractured as the experience of them must be yeah we're um, limited by our perspective like yeah can't exactly see outside of that correct in the same way that yeah exactly yeah yeah so yeah i mean i i think that that's all real and possible um you know and different philosophers would say different things about it but i call myself like a practical philosopher because i think the only things that matter to debate are things that actually impact us you know yeah well, Fair enough. Maybe that's not true. I kind of do debate whether or not the spoons prefer to be used or unused in the drawer. Um, and I guess that doesn't really impact things, but. <laughs> it could. You never know. It, it could, yeah. I mean, have you ever thought about it? You know, if like a spoon has a preference. We're not saying the spoon does have a preference, but if a spoon had a preference, would it, be pre would it prefer to be left alone and untouched? Or would it prefer to go through the cycle of, you know, in hot food and cold food and soap and, you know, dishwasher and what would it prefer like does it enjoy its job sort of thing <laughs> well yeah i mean one is a very solitary experience where it gets to be protected you know in a drawer the nothing happens to it it doesn't doesn't degrade it doesn't age doesn't nothing happens to it but in the other scenario it does degrade and it does age and it does get worn you know which, which would be preferable to it i guess that's sort of a good metaphor for life as well like some people want to be protected and you know have the assurances of you know the government's looking out for me and you know i 
don't have to work for things or whatever. And then some people just want just freedom, you know, I want to be able to do what I want and, you know, find my purpose and stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I sort of saw the, saw a relation between the spoons and that. Yeah. Which maybe makes it worth thinking about. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And also, going back to the microbiome thing and stuff like who knows maybe there's little philosophers inside of us that are trying to figure out what (laughs) what they're a part of and stuff who knows what what the like scale is you know yeah i mean it sure could be and what's i think interesting that is 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 different between our microbiome and the humans is that the microbiome has um chemical languages that um have an intraspecies and a like a you know, universal, they, all the different mi- microbes can talk to each other through this chemical language, whether or not they, they're related. And then each individual species has its own chemical language that only its species understands. Um, Bonnie Bresler did a TED talk on this, and it's absolutely fascinating, and she's way more brilliant than I am when it comes to this stuff. But, um, but I started really thinking about it and it's like, well, maybe the achievement for humans to unlock then is humans as a species to have a way of communicating where it's, it's not language specific because right now, you know, we have, we have translators and stuff, but it's not, it's, it's not yet facilitating understanding to a level where we need it to be, you know, right. and, and really the only language we have is dance. That's the only one that really transcends all of the languages, but most of us aren't using it or trying. Yeah, so. I, I think uh, maybe music and math as well. Uh, yeah, uh-huh, sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like we don't have a universal language that we can just talk to each other. Yeah, and I think that's the achievement for humans to unlock. And once we do, we stop destroying the earth as cancer cells. Um, yeah. we, start, we start being thoughtful about it. Yeah, maybe then we would see each other as, you know, all on the same team and, you know, <laughs> less boundaries between each other. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, yeah, uh, it's interesting that, um, you know, the biomes communicate with each other because, like, coral, like the corals in the ocean, mm-hmm. they do the same thing. They'll, like, communicate kind of across the world with their same species and, um, you know, do their whatever their cycle is. Um, at the same time and then other species of corals will like you know communicate with them themselves and stuff like all across however far and it's it's super interesting it's weird how there's like this connection that we don't really see trees apparently do that too i mean and and i think the um mycelium notably does that as well yeah i was just gonna say mushrooms too yeah i i think that mushrooms i mean i think if there are well this would be a whole nother podcast too but um (laughs) I, I think that if, if we're looking for alien life, I think mushrooms are a good um, a good candidate. <laughs> so um, it seems like it because apparently they they can like survive the vacuum of space or whatever. And uh-huh. yeah, so, like it totally could have come from another planet and just like infested. But like everything could have because apparently water didn't exist on Earth until there was like a a big ice storm and you know it collided and you know added all the water to the earth and then it melted or whatever however it worked that's just one of the things that i saw in a documentary but um yeah like technically everything could is alien in a way like it could have came in an asteroid at one point and then the you know genes 
mutated with other genes or whatever the dna right indeed yeah yeah maybe humans then, came on an asteroid at one point you know i mean I, I guess anything is possible i i don't i i don't put anything out of the realm of possibility anymore because i've seen too much um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um you know and i was just thinking about what i had said about you know humans don't communicate but that's not true I think what's true is that we don't have the awareness of us communicating because I think energetically, in the same way that I think our cells communicate um, chemically, we also communicate chemically. I think our awareness of it is just blocked by all of the fucked up shit we do to our environment. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I us just that... not learning from, or like not focusing on, you know, learning that kind of stuff. We're very material and we're just like, we're not you know, especially in the, the Western world, we don't really care about the spiritual stuff. Uh, at least like where I'm from is, you know. I've, where I'm from I, as well. I found I found it through psychedelics. I found yeah. spirituality through psilocybin. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was atheist. Um, and then I was agnostic when I went through my, my bachelor's program because they, they tell you that they won't they won't let you pass to graduate if, if you're still an atheist um, because you, you can't question everything really rigorously and still believe that you're absolutely sure there is no God. <laughs> right. It's just not possible to do that level of work. Um, so, I mean, I left that program 20 years ago as agnostic, but um, I no longer think that there's any chance that there's like, you know, the Christian God sitting on a cloud somewhere telling us what to do or steering our lives in any way or caring at all what we do. I think that this all is connected and yeah. that is spirituality so yeah i i agree um like most I, people that have done psychedelics do yeah it definitely that's kind of the common thing it seems like it like a lot of people go from being like me personally went from being um atheist to agnostic and now i i guess i still am in a way like i I, I don't know, like, I can't, like, you know, put my finger on what exactly it is. But, you know, I believe there's something. And I don't know, I, I'm sort of leaning towards, like, the more I read about Buddhism, the more I like about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't say I'm a Buddhist or anything. Like, I just, I don't know, I'm still in that limbo period of trying to figure everything out. And, yeah, you know, what I believe. I wouldn't say I'm Buddhist either, but other people say that I am. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a practicing Buddhist, but you heard me talk about like not being able to kill anything. And it's for the same reason that Buddhists wouldn't be able to. Yeah, so. like, I don't know. Yeah, the more I read about it, the more it makes sense. And like, how if you can prove something wrong within it, then like, you're more than welcome to and like, they'll accept it and blah, blah, blah. Like, whereas other like religions and like, um, you know what I mean? Like other mm -hmm. uh, groups totally. like that, they like force no, this is the way it is, you know, follow yeah. the scripture, follow, but like, you know, there's more to it than that. And like, I, I think totally. that there's stuff to build onto it. If there's stuff to take away from it, you know, over the years, if you can take stuff out of the Bible, why can't you add, you know, new stuff, yeah. and, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, yeah. I, I've been working on just coming up with um, the minimum number of things you need to believe in order to be able to have enough ego that you don't get hit by a bus <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> you know what is the minimum number of things i need to believe how much separateness do i actually have to believe to be able to function in 3d reality 
you know, and it's um, it's a pretty minimal number of things. Um, and I think that the another achievement for this generation that's coming up to unlock is to codify some of that and have, you know, a, a quote unquote church experience where we're investigating that, you know, and we're coming together and we're making sure everybody has their needs met. Um, because that doesn't, the government's not going to do that for us. That comes from community and community right. comes from us all finding a language that we can speak, that we understand, you know? Yeah. And instead of just talking at each other, we're like having conversations and actually like taking in what other people say and like comprehending it instead of just like coming up with a response, you know? Yeah. We, we have to, yeah, I think people are getting a lot more empathetic now. And I agree. That, that'll play a big role in just like, you know, I don't want to see any of my neighbors or friends or family like doing poorly. But it seems like that's sort of what we've been coming from, you know, um, mm -hmm. how everything was sort of, sort of a social standing and everybody wanted to, you know, be on top of that pyramid. But like, I, we don't need a pyramid, you know, like it should be yeah. leveled out. Um, scarcity is a manufactured part of capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, and the more that we um, lean into capitalism as our religion, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, we create all of this scarcity and then people like empathy is naturally blocked by scarcity. So um, I think as we come out of, I think as enough people end up having nothing, because I don't know what your background is, but I have had nothing multiple times, like literally not a penny, nothing of value to my name. Um, you know, not knowing how I was going to get my next meal. Um, I did it accidentally and on purpose, um, but uh, in different situations. But I think okay. as more people end up having nothing, they will understand that scarcity is manufactured. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have to do, it doesn't have to be that dire, um, but that seems to be what we're doing. And, um, you know, unemployment is ending um, here in this country for the pandemic uh, next week. So anybody that was, you know, told by their doctor to quarantine months ago um, and has been collecting unemployment ever since because of it is about to lose it unless our government steps in and does something, which is unlikely. Um, so people are going to know what it's like to have nothing. And then they're going to find out that all this thing that they've been fearing this whole time was a ghost. Yeah. And like when like economies crash and stuff, that's because the rich people aren't investing money into anything anymore, you know, to start businesses going and, you know, um, you know, with like oil towns and stuff, the only thing that's driving that is like the company that's able to put the money in to like, you know, start that revenue and then get that money flowing. But then as soon yeah. as they pull out, then there's, you know, nothing there, nothing for the people to do, but those people still have, I'm sorry. Um, uses and they still have you know stuff that they could learn to do other things but then but there's nothing being invested in that town you know so it's it's just right. I don't know I just feel like when when this year happened it like it's not like the money just disappeared it just went into those like the banks or the you know the rich businesses and then just yeah it, it just stagnated there. It just stopped there because it's not being cycled back in. Correct. Yeah. And what's interesting is the dollar is is inevitably going to collapse. I, the, I don't see any way around it. Um, yeah. You know, the United States is either going to get bought out 
um, by some other country or it's going to collapse and then get taken over. Um, that's, but people that have you know, billions of dollars are the only ones that are going to fare okay through that financially. But you know, my experience is that when people have nothing, they go find community. <laughs> which is which is the solution to the problem anyway. So through to community, everything is solved. So, yeah. Yeah. And now that we have the internet to connect us, I mean, assuming we'll still have the internet to connect us, um, there's nothing that we can't do once we form community. Because the yeah. resources, all the resources that we need for all of us to thrive are all right here. They're just not allocated thoughtfully or evenly. Yeah. Yeah. And once we got a good system going, then like, you know, there'd be a good flow kind of everywhere and everywhere has their unique thing that they could bring to the table. And yeah. Yeah. And, but but we'd, we'd also have to have an agreement on, on what are the actual important things that we need that keep us separate enough to not walk into a bus. Right. So <laughs> yeah. we'd have to like have some sort of agreement on that in order to know how to thoughtfully and fairly allocate resources. But the truth is, is I, I am feeling so unbelievably underutilized. You know, I have a master's degree in social work. I'm a trained therapist. Um, I've developed this tool called verbal acupuncture, which pairs perfectly with entheogens. Um, I was I, um, actually going to ask about that. Um, I, I read that on your uh, write-up here. And what exactly is that? I'm interested. Verbal acupuncture? Um, I, what it is in a nutshell is... Um, I don't have a lot of experience explaining it. No, no problem. It's, um, well, in, in acupuncture, in traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture, um, you would have somebody who's trained in it, um, you know, doing their process to find blocked energy in your physical body, in your energy field. Okay. Um, and then they would interrupt that with needles that they have learned how deeply to place, you know, what size needle, exactly what they need to do in order to shift that energy in a way that restores your flow. Verbal acupuncture, I'm listening to people's stories. I'm listening to what people want to tell me about and following the kind of the neuropathways um, through the blockages that are having them be stuck. And then words kind of come to me um, in the same way that I think an acupuncturist kind of gets where they need to put the needle. Um, things come to me to say that interrupt that blockage. So for instance, you know, somebody's telling me about how they're suffering because um, they, you know, are wanting to show up in a particular way because they're not getting X, Y, Z. And then I understand that they're feeling like they need to achieve something in order to be worthy. And so Worthiness is worthiness and unworthiness is a false dichotomy. There's no such thing as worthy or unworthy of love. We are made of love, right. um, you know. And so, if we understand that it's a false dichotomy, we also understand that if we look for evidence that we're not worthy, we're going to find it. And if we look for evidence that we are worthy, we're going to find it because, like, we can make up whatever we want to to shore up a false dichotomy. And so. If somebody's dealing with that, I'm able to say something along the lines of that that has them question at a programming level um, whether or not what they were believing is true. And if you can question your beliefs that are keeping you stuck, 
your mind will automatically continue to process the blockage until it clears. And so the reason we get stuck in these thought loops is because we're thinking the same thing over and over again from the same perspective. So I can think through it from a different perspective and interject that. Um, and that's basically verbal acupuncture. It's kind of like talk therapy in the same way that Qigong is kind of like dance. Okay. So you were saying that you think that psychedelics couple well with that? Is that because Perfectly. it allows you to um, have an open, more open mind and see from sort of other perspectives and stuff like that? Yes, because you're automatically already thinking it from a different perspective, no matter okay. what the, the entheogen is. Um, uh, cannabis integration sessions are my absolute favorite to do because we can just smoke a bowl and talk about it and then something shifts. So, um, but I also really enjoy um, working with people after they've done like a 5-MeO a 5-MeO DMT session or even an NN DMT session um, or it's really wonderful actually with MDMA. Um, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about is MDMA therapy becoming legitimized because um, it may be that without too much extra effort, I can get licensed to do it. Um, That's awesome. And I'm, I'm super excited about that idea. And verbal acupuncture, I'm also really excited about. I want to see if I can teach it to people because if I can teach it to people, then my career path is, is kind of obvious to me um, because it's just... You know, I've been in therapy. I've had, I don't know, probably a decade's worth of therapy altogether. Um, and most of the time, my therapists were completely and totally unhelpful because they just let me talk and talk and talk. And I didn't need to talk. What I needed to do was unpack. But it's difficult to unpack unless you have something that has you feeling safe to do it. And given the right set and setting, the empty engines really help a lot. Yeah, I've heard really good things about like, especially couples therapy with MDMA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm kind of an expert at relationship counseling, too. Okay. Um, because I, I can see blockages and I can see where the misunderstandings are of the way that the universe works. And, the, and I can see the assumption, I can see all of it. It kind of like shows up to me like a grid. Um, oh. And so it's, it's exciting work that's coming up. Um, I'm not currently working, working. Um, I'm sort of taking a healing break. I've been in a lot of pain. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the world, the way it's unfolding. Uh, what are you in pain from? Oh, I, um, I pulled out my back again. And um, yeah, I've got, you know, I have the body of someone who ate the standard American diet for the first three quarters of her life mm -hmm. and, um, and sat a lot. So I'm working on it. I used to walk with a cane and be like 100 pounds heavier but I'm, uh, I'm working on it, so. So you've improved your diet since then? Like you're, uh... Yeah, I eat, I eat the, I, yeah. I eat pretty much one ingredient food, you know, like. Okay. Yeah, an egg, sweet potatoes, onions, that kind of stuff. And have you noticed that helping mentally as well? Oh yeah, I used to have fibro fog, you know, the kind of fog that you get with fibromyalgia and it turns out that that's inflammation. And um, yeah, uh, the brain inflammation is pretty much gone with the clean diet. That's so, amazing. Yeah, for a, more than a decade, I, I, I didn't know myself to have any kind of brilliance or worth to the world because I was so uh, foggy. And I was drinking alcohol in those days too, which didn't help, so.
Yeah, adding to the brain fog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just, I was living the standard American life, standard American diet. You know, all the people that are, that are posting right now, just stay home, wear your masks, protect everybody, you know, just sit home and watch TV. I was one of those people, so. Yeah, just <laughs> put yourself in an environment to get sick. You know. Yeah, and I was sick all the time. I mean, I was sick six times a year. I was yeah. sick all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I used to be sick often, too. When And, like, I mean, lately I haven't been eating the greatest, but since I met my girlfriend, she's, you know, she's a good cook, and she um, was vegan, now she's vegetarian. And, like, so, I mean, I stopped drinking energy drinks, like, four or five a day. And Ouch. Yeah. I lost, like, 40 or 50 pounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> in like a few months from that. So yeah. unless something else is going inside my body is either that or quitting alcohol or a bit of both maybe, but well, that's a lot so of sugar. Much, so much sugar. So, yeah. so much sugar. I eat almost none. There's a tiny bit of sugar in, in one of the sausages that I picked up and um, that's about as much sugar as I do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, like I used to be addicted to pop and then, you know, tripping on LSD and you know, just like thinking about how much sugar is in it. And I think I had a sip of one while I was tripping and it just like tasted thick, you know, mm -hmm. and like just like syrup and it just put me off from it. Now it's just very, uh, you know, I'll have like a seven up or, or a Sprite once in a while and stuff. But yeah, I don't know, like psychedel psychedelics really made me conscious of what I'm putting into my body, you know? Super conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even eating as well as I I could be eating, you know, I've had the experience a couple of times now where somebody who's really an expert um, in what my body needs um, has been cooking for me for like weeks at a time. And I'm an entirely different human. I'm in no pain at all. I'm fully functional. Like I'm, I'm able to hold space for people all day long um, to do their work. And I'm, I'm really in, in great service to the universe when I have somebody that that really knows what they're doing and has all day to soak and sprout and, you know, make pastes and whatever. Um, it's, it, it's, it's pretty dramatically different. Um, and there are plenty of people who love doing that, who also feel fully underutilized. We have a, we have an organizational structure problem, but yeah. Well, speaking like, of weed, I'm going to smoke a bowl. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Did you want to take a little break or you, do you have to go outside no, or? But no, that's fine. I can smoke right here. Okay. I've got a little pen here, so I will join you. <laughs> I want to hear about your, you, you were talking about a, a DMT trial thing that you're in. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I'll say it's privately sponsored. Um, protect people's. Yeah. And uh, what we did was we took NNDMT. And we took basically like one full release dose and um, dissolved it in vegetable glycerin um, and got the right kind of vape pen that let us control the, the temperatures. Okay. And we found the right setting and, you know, we did all the things. And then we kind of just gave it to a bunch of participants. And <clears throat> what we found was universally, every single participant, and there were probably about 30, maybe 40, um, had the same experience. We all had just kind of this installation of calm. Right. There was okay. no, there was no visuals. There was no, it was just like a tiny dose. And it was just this installation of calm. It was like somebody, it was like the universe putting its loving hand on your shoulders. Just going, shh. Yeah. I, I see the low doses as a cosmic hug. 
Yeah, very like much just, like that. Just a warm embrace from the universe. Yeah. And it's like, you don't want to fight it. You want to be in your body. You want to be right there, right now, present, awake, aware, you know, there. And um, I don't know, I feel like that's a treatment for panic attacks. It's a treatment for, you know, like the kind of anxiety that like, you know, leads into a panic attack. Um, that it's just, it's such a treatment for so many things. Um, and so many people after this experience, I watch them go make better music and go do all these things. And, you know, like, although notably one person ended up doing a lot of math um, afterwards. So I think if you're not in the right set and setting, I think if you don't have the support and the integration work that comes after it, I think that you can go, you know, uh, down a path that maybe wouldn't be what I would choose. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think we, we do need to pay attention to set and setting, but what I imagine, right, is is a facility or a treat center, uh, you know, kind of like a cross between a, an ashram, a, a spa, and like a school, and, a, you know, an intentional community, kind of like a, a, you know, a hybrid of all of these things. And we're, we're growing the best food the earth can grow. We have amazing natural living water um, and we have people who are lovingly preparing the food in a highly digestible way that the body can build really healthy bodies out of clean minds, clean bodies. Um, you know, we're, we're doing things that really create community and really create oneness and unity. And then we're using things like this to intentionally disrupt our suffering. Um, and then holding space for the integration of all of that. And I feel like that's the kind of place that I could help run. Um, I feel like that's the kind of place that healers need to go to so that they can fully heal so that we can hold space for the aftermath of this dumpster fire that 2020 is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and 2021 is setting up to be as well. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that we have any reason to think the next year is going to be any easier than this year has been. Uh, yeah, people always seem to say, um, you know, next year will be my year sort of thing. But it's the year has nothing to do with it. It's whether or not like you're willing to make the changes, you know. Yeah. And the uh, year, yeah, the year only has something to do with it is if you plan your life by like TV series, you know, years and stuff. You know, it's yeah. like the season of humaning is. <laughs> You know, the season of humaning is coming to a close, but the next season, you know, we're going to end at a cliffhanger and things are going to be so much better next season. You know, yeah. just that's the only way that that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. 2021, the hero returns. Yeah. But if you're really present to your present moment, then looking into the future like that doesn't make any sense. And yeah. that's, I think, what the psychedelics teach us is be here now. And I think there's if only we the doing present. That, yeah. I think if we were doing that, we wouldn't need them. But yeah. yeah. So uh, you were saying that that DMT um, trial was for anxiety or was it just a that general? D that DMT trial was for curiosity. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that was a private party saying, hmm, I wonder what happens when we do this. <laughs> okay. And that's and then, just what then, you noticed was it was a very calming yeah. feeling. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. even just a feeling. It was just like, I, I, I really like the, the way to, we decided to talk about it was that it was an installation of calm. Okay. Yeah. I, just, yeah. Uh, lately, 
I don't know. I, I've been having a few panic attacks. I wouldn't say panic attacks, but like heightened anxiety, you know, where I'm like sort of pacing around the room and I just like my chest is racing and, you know, there's nothing wrong in my, um, you know, in my head or anything. And I just like, and, you know, so it doesn't make sense that like, I'm not late on bills. I'm not like, you know, trying to get a job or whatever. It's just like, just the, this anxiety that's within me. And yep. um, so, yeah, this one day I was just, you know, really anxious pacing the house. And from previous DMT trips, I noticed that it was a very calming feeling. Like I'm anxious before it, I take the hit. And then it's just like this rush of, you know, calm, this, you know, yep. the universe hugging. And so I was kind of having this um, panic attack and I just put the smallest, <clears throat> the smallest little, um, amount of dmt into my pen and i like not enough to see any visuals just enough to like you know feel it and like just blow a little bit of smoke out and you know i i hit it while standing and i was like you know it didn't make me trip and so after a couple minutes i sort of you know i was feeling it in my body pretty good so i went and laid down and i just felt like the whole racing feeling in my chest just like wash away and it like it was like this cold wave through my back and then out you know and yeah. then, you know, it's just a couple deep breaths and it was gone. Yeah. And it was amazing. And it sounds like you probably did like two or three times more than the participants in this thing did. Because oh, yeah? we had it so diluted. Like there's no way that you could even get the amount that we're talking about into a pen. Like it has, in the same way that you couldn't like microdose LSD, you know, in in a, a tiny, tiny, tiny amount, unless you put like one drop in like a dropper full right. of, of alcohol, you know, it's kind of like the same kind of dilution. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could probably even cut that amount in third or fourths to have the same kind of experience. Yeah. Cause when I was laying there and had my eyes closed, there was that sort of like little bit of a wave. I wasn't seeing anything, but like a little bit of, you know, a wave to the back of my eyelids anyway. Um, but yeah, I wasn't tripping by any means. And yeah. I could still think clearly and everything. It was yeah. just, you know, I, it was a very strong body high, though. Yeah, I had to hit my pen five or six times to get an effect like that. Okay. So, yeah. What exactly would you feel then? It just sort of like calmed all your nerves, just sort of brought you back to where you should be instead of like... Not, not even. High? It was really just, I really felt like the universe putting its hands around you saying, shh. <laughs> which was enough because you don't want to fight it when the universe does that you don't want to fight it once yeah, once you've sure. been once you've been introduced to it you know and, and it's like there was just no force you know it's it's the difference it, see so i'm thinking in, in acupuncture terms right i you know and I, I don't have any training whatsoever in acupuncture i've just received it enough times um but i i think of it in the terms of you can jab a needle into a blockage in a particular place. There's like five or six parts of the body that anybody who has any training whatsoever can stick a needle in those places and you'll feel better. I feel like a heavy dose or even just a heavier dose than you need is kind of like um, that lack of nuance in those needles. And I feel like the micro doses are really fine needles and it's a suggestion of energy movement. And if you're willing to let it do what it's suggesting that you do, it doesn't need to be a strong dose. And anyway, it, you know, a tiny gentle suggestion is plenty. Yeah. Especially for like mental stuff. I feel like. Um, Agreed. 
Totally. Like I've I've been um kind of doing pretty high doses of LSD and kind of the more I do, the more liquid I feel, you know? Mm. And I, I find that very beneficial for um like releasing the pressure in my ears. Yeah. And stretching. Like when I'm on, you know, maybe five tabs, I can just like, you know, I'm just super bendy. I could you know, I feel like really in tune with all my muscles and stuff. I, it's the same as like one dose, just like deeper, you deeper. Know? You yeah. just get deeper and deeper. But mentally, I feel like the more you do, kind of the more it'll, I don't know, maybe confuse you or you won't have as much control over your mind to be able to like work on the things that you might have to work on. But at the same time, it might be like hitting something with a sledgehammer. It'll like break it right open. And yeah. Yeah, I feel like I do have a high dose LSD trip in my future. And yeah. it will be so that I can unlock all of these blockages in my body because I can recognize all of these old traumas that I have are still stored here. Um, and they're like, you know, it's like a, a road system that you put in and there could be like no cars on it, but the road system is still there, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, it still goes back to the same place even if there's no like traffic on it. It feels like that in my body that all of these traumas like created all these pathways. And so I want somebody who is an expert at body work in the same way that I'm kind of like an expert at this like verbal acupuncture. I want somebody who's really an expert on physiology and how the body moves to work with me while I'm in that state so that I can understand how my body needs me to be walking, how it needs me to be standing, how it needs my posture to be, how it needs me to lift things. Because I, I, started, I started crawling because I was trying to hit achievements because my mom was so excited about it. I think, um, I mean, I don't remember this clearly, but this is what I've come to believe, that I'd never really paid attention to what it was like being in my body. My mind was forcing me to hit these achievements before I was really ready. Um, and so I've had tons of injuries and I had all kinds of body stuff and I had asthma stuff and I just have all this stuff. And I've, I've been feeling like in order to get me to not be hurting myself and I'm walking all the time because I've got ankle problems and back problems and um, that I really need to learn how to crawl again. And yeah. I've tried to do it kind of sober. I've tried to do it, you know, on whatever I've been on. Um, but I really feel like I need to be fairly deeply into something like LSD, probably LSD combined with MDMA. Um, and really working with people who really can help me with that. Um, it feels like that's an achievement I want to unlock. And actually, it's just really funny. I just had like a little brainstorm. My videographer is coming. There's two little mini documentaries of me. Um, they're tiny, but um, he's, he's coming and he's going to do another one. And one of the ones that I'd imagine would be great to do is to find people who can really help me, find people like me who can hold space for me to do my work so that I can fully heal, so that I can really hold space for like hundreds of people at a time. You know, I think I can probably do group verbal acupuncture, but I need to not be wanting to smoke weed to get me out of pain because right. I, I want to be sober when I'm doing it unless I feel like I want not to be, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, that would be an interesting documentary to like see the healers that I have to find. I know I need network chiropractic and I want to do network chiropractic while I'm on psilocybin. I want to find somebody who's interested in doing that on me. Ditto for acupuncture. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of have all these like healing things planned, just the healers haven't showed up yet. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. My girlfriend's sister is a yoga instructor. 
or she's I guess she teaches the yoga instructors um cool but I always thought it'd kind of be cool to have a little private session and you know while I'm tripping if she could like you know show me these different yoga poses and stuff that I could get into and like you know really stretch out those muscles but at the same time when I'm stretching by myself while tripping I find Mm -hmm. myself in yoga poses because like yeah you yeah you get stretching and then all of a sudden you know you find yourself in the downward facing dog or you know something like that and I think that's really interesting yeah you interviewed my friend Nick also and um, I've watched him do fractal yoga which, you know, I kind of watched him go through the journey of like being comfortable doing it in front of other people as well, which has been really interesting. But watching him do fractal yoga, I started to understand what I didn't understand about my body, you know, and I, I have, I have tried to do enough medicine that I go into the fractal yoga naturally the way he does. But I have misalignments that end up getting me hurt. Like, okay. Like I, I need body work done, I think, before I can do it without hurting myself because I end up injured every time. So it's the same thing with LSD. Um, and I did have a yoga instruction while I was on a microdose of psilocybin. And it was amazing. It was like a shamanic experience, like really? for real, like having this yoga session. But I was wrecked for like a week afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I had hurt myself so badly. Um, That's but I was feeling no pain while I was doing it. Did you just overdo it, you think? I not only overdid it, I overdid it by like a factor of 50. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I've noticed right. that. I've noticed yeah. that with myself when I do stretching because my whole life, my like I haven't been able to touch my toes. And then oh, wow. just like recently, like I can bend right in half now and basically touch my shoulders to my knees and like walk. Um, but... Oh, I forget where I was going with this. What were we just talking about? <laughs> the uh... um, I, you were talking about overdoing it. Yeah, um, sorry. Uh, and, I, the... and I'm kind of the opposite. Is like I'm so loose that I end up getting injured all the time. So... Oh, okay, like hyperextending, sort of. Exactly, I hyperextend. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Have, like, literally the opposite problem. Because yep. yeah, for me, I'll I'll be when I'm tripping. It just feels so amazing to actually like be able to bend and activate these muscles that I haven't been able to activate for years and years yeah. and years. Um, so this last time that I did it, I was like getting really deep into it and like really, um, like stretching the back of my legs. And then like the next day, oh, I could barely walk cause it was just so tight. Like it was just, exactly. you know, it felt like I just went for like a two hour run. Yeah. Um, and really what you need after you do something like that is a massage. Oh, so, yeah, you know, this, this center that I've created in, in our thought space now would also have people doing body work. You know, we would basically all have the ability to see whatever healer we needed to see for whatever we happened to be going through at whatever time, because they would all be there healing so that they could heal others. You know, yeah, that's cool. to the community while they're there. Yeah, I sort of had along the same lines, like not in the same sense that like I'd be sort of instructing the. Uh, the healers at the same time and whatnot but like to have a some sort of system so that um you know you come in and do a little interview see what's wrong see what like how we can help and whatever and then you would have maybe a, a massage therapist for the beginning you know 
or a yoga instructor for the beginning to get you all loose and then a massage therapist for after and then a chiropractor for after that or something you know and like have these this like lineup of professionals that you know can help you and maybe a therapist at the end or something to be able to like talk to you about it and like integrate the lessons you've learned or whatever yeah all depending on what the person needs (laughs) but yeah that would be amazing to have like yeah like because you're tripping for six seven eight hours so like if you had an hour for each of these you know like you could come out a whole different person you know being able to do handstands and backflips or something who knows you could do 10 years of therapy in a weekend yeah yeah absolutely Uh, and I that's cool and, and this is and this is I'm telling you this is what we need because what's happening is that I'm watching this right I have I have a tremendous number of healer friends I've collected them for various reasons but I have a huge number of healer friends and I'm watching them all slip into cocoons. Um, some of them are numbing. Some of them are like, you know, they have kids. They're like not functional. They're kind of drinking a lot at night. And, you know, and we also have to pay attention to this generation's being brought up by day drinkers. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, when, when it gets to the point where things are starting to open back up, healers need a place to go to heal because otherwise there's nobody holding space for people to do their integration work. Right. There's like, there's no bit like we, we have such a crisis that's unfolding, but a crisis that, that the human race has never seen before in these numbers because we've never had this big of a population before. Um, the, the crisis of mental health and physical health, which is the same thing, um, is just, I'm astonished that so few people seem to be paying attention to what's about to happen. Um, but I see these healers helping healers heal houses everywhere, you know, and then people can do the traveling they need to do. They can be where they need to be and they can go to these houses and be in service and get the healing they need and, you know, spend a few weeks getting, the, you know, all the food that their body needs to build healthy bodies out of, to get clean minds, clean bodies, you know, and being able to really be in service with a support system. And anytime you've, you know, done too much, I mean, I've done this. I've been holding space for people to do integration work for like a long time without really having any training to do it. And then I finally got some and understood that I was like taking on all of their stuff. And so, and you sometimes do that transference anyway, and it happens and you need healing time afterwards to go and like shed that stuff so that you can go be helpful again. Yeah. I've, I've read that we really take on the energy of other people and like, Uh when you when you tell somebody a story like it transfers sort of some of that energy you know yeah totally i mean we're we all are of energy there's nothing solid here so like that's going to be a natural occurrence and unless you're pretty careful and knowledgeable how and that you're able to create a you're able to create a boundary without a blockage you know, it's like in order to be a really helpful healer, you have to create a boundary between you and the other person without creating a blockage between you two, because the blockage will transfer also. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. I never thought about it like that, but yeah, like have yeah. this like sort of a buffer zone instead of like a, a strict boundary. Yeah. And you do it by willingness. You, you do it by very specifically, I think, leaning into the idea that you know, you're not giving permission um, for, but if you're going to do, in order for us to to create a permission-based boundary, we have to have perfect integrity or near-perfect integrity, I think. You know, we can't be saying things and thinking another. 
we can't be having actions that are um, that are not resonant with our beliefs. If we do that, then we can't create a permission-based boundary that holds. You know, I I can't believe I'm talking about this either. But but I I noticed in my travels I I was microdosing. Um, I was on um, and and I was smoking weed. So I was I was we'll call it high. I was pretty high. Um, I was at a block party in Oregon um, a bunch of years ago, and this guy had seems to me like he had done some meth probably, but probably was also on a cocktail of things. Okay. He was coming down, he was coming down the street like a whirling dervish and like had punched the two people that were just before me on his, in his trajectory. And he gets to me and I, I stand and you can't see me obviously, but I stand kind of in a, in a karate pose almost um, where I'm, you know, I'm really grounded and my feet are really grounded. I'm, I'm like, I dropped deep into my energy and, you know, the, the psychedelics helped drop deep into my energy. And I put up a permission based boundary around me that said, you know, you can go this far. And he, he, he like stopped at the edge of that boundary, tipped forward a little bit, like his feet had stopped, but his energy hadn't tipped forward a little bit, righted himself, looked at me and said, I'm sorry, ma'am. And then went on. <laughs> It was the most oh, wow. extraordinary thing I had ever seen. And then I stopped I stopped pretending that I was this like tiny little human after that that like had no power because I was clear that anything that was happening to me that I had the ability to do that, even if I wasn't present and like aware of it at the time, that that wasn't something that was going to leave me, that I that was something I could do. And then that year I went to um to Oregon Country Fair with a hug with a sign that said uh, "Free Hug Therapy," and I, I didn't, I hadn't integrated that yet. I didn't understand. I, I don't think I started to understand that whole permission-based boundary thing until this phone call. Um, but I gave so many hugs that I took on so much stuff because I was just pushing myself to see like how in service I could be in that way. I left there wrecked. I was in so much pain. I was so non-functional. I was a mess for weeks. So it's, I don't remember where I was going with that, but it's about finding a balance. And how do we do that when we don't even believe magic is real? Because that's in the realm of magic, you know? Yeah, but I, I was going to mention that, how it, like there's powers within our body that we don't understand, you know? Because like I said before, we're yes. we're in this very material world where you know, all, all that spirituality, all that, you know, magic, that's all woo woo. And, you know, yeah. like, who knows what powers we do have. And like, you know how you can feel when somebody's looking at you, you know, you get like that hair standing up on your neck or whatever, you can just feel yeah, like totally. something's looking at you. Like there's, there's energy behind that. There's got to be something behind that, you know? So like, what if you could focus that, you know, yeah. or what if, you know, there's a way to be ultra, um, sensory in a way that you can sort of yeah. like feel when somebody's looking at you without it just being like a subconscious thing you know you like can totally do that the only reason that we think that that's magic is because we are so disconnected from our experience of being together and alive and collective yeah. we are, only because we are so disconnected in that way does that seem magical because what when you have i mean i don't know how many festivals you've been to but i've now been not to a one, one. <laughs> huh not one 
Not Sadly. one. Okay. No. So what happens at a festival is people do a lot of drugs. <laughs> they, do, <laughs> they do a lot of LSD. They do a lot of MDMA. They do a lot of psilocybin. They smoke a lot of weed. Um, that kind of drugs. And I don't like calling them drugs. I call them entheogens. But people do a mm -hmm. lot of entheogens. And, um, and they do things that unblock their blockages. And they do things that build community. And we sit around campfires. And we sing. And we tell stories. And we drum. And we do all of these things that let go of blockages. And people make, I have my best friends. In fact, Nick, I met at a festival. Um, That's amazing. Some of, some of my best friends I have met at festivals. And what happens at the end of a festival is people have come together and they do feel each other. You do know the intimacy is instant and it's, it, it, you really can feel the experience of, oh, this is our natural state of being. And the yeah. only reason it doesn't seem that way is because we're living, you know, so separate that we have so many scarcity walls, so many scarcity boundaries put up. Scarcity boundaries block energy, permission-based boundaries do not, I don't think. Okay. I don't know, I have to question that deeper. I just came up with that. <laughs> well, like this is all stuff that, you know, people that went to festivals in the 70s would have, you know, figured out, but then it's like illegal and you can't, can't talk about it and, like, this yeah. is all stuff that we should have been, you know, knowing in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, you know, and we should be years ahead. But like, yes, that we're just so behind because of all that. I in. Yes, that's a good story. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's that's a very valid way of looking at it. Um, I think that the desperation of the planet um, because I mean, I think it's we've lost 50% of our biodiversity or 60% or something absurd like that um, because of humans. Humans have touched every inch of this planet. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I wrote a little book that's still in editing um, called The Legend of Elsie, and it's about how the landwalkers polluted the, the water realm. Um, and I don't know what my point of that was, but the planet <laughs> is is suffering and i think that the i think the ocean realm is actually impacting us psychologically i think one of the reasons people are so feeling like the sense of like some kind of dread or something like that is coming from the ocean realm actually i think that oh, the, yeah. the i think that the whales and the dolphins um i think are really really in tune with um the collective thought processes um and I, I mean, I'm just making this up, but this seems likely to me. It seems like a really good fiction story if it's not accurate <laughs> in, in our actual present reality. I'm a, I, I, you know, it finally occurred to me that I used to think that things were particular ways, and then I realized that I was actually a fiction writer. Um, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm not very good at writing fiction because I have very little experience in actually writing it down, but I come up with all these really amazing fiction stories. So... <laughs> I want a, I want a partner who's good at writing fictional dialogue and stuff like that that wants to sit and smoke some weed with me and we can write these great stories together. Yeah, that that'd be amazing. That's that'd be super cool to hear too. And yeah, then, like read and stuff. Um, yeah, because I mean I have a bunch of them. You know, it's like the the dog that I was um, that I was um, caring for. I was a pet sitter for a while. And, um, you know, Howard would take me to these different places and, and he would insist on like getting his body into certain spots, but other ones he would just kind of sniff and then walk away from. And what I was imagining he was doing was creating um, this really robust life inside of him. Like, you know, 50% of the biodiversity on the planet's gone. 
you know, his job was to make sure he was preserving as much of it as possible. Um, and that he, you know, he wags his dog and he's happy, he wags his tail and he's happy. And that's the podcast for this universe that's going on inside of him. You know, he's this like robust universe of microbes. And um, anyway, I, I think that would be a good story too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you have written down some of these or. I, I wrote, so I, you know, it's funny because when I was 25, I was in the middle of undergrad and I was diagnosed with dyslexia. Well, actually uh, uh, reading, reading learning disability, not otherwise specified is what I was actually diagnosed with. And I had made up that I was not a good writer. Um, I, you know, grammar was really hard for me um, and is still hard for me. Um, and, you know, I just, I had a really difficult time with it. So I had a story for the first three quarters of my life that I was a terrible writer. And then I finally said one day, and I was probably either microdosing or had recently done so, um, when I said, you know, do I like that about myself that I think that I'm a bad writer? And I was like, well, like, I don't, I don't really like that story. It's pretty limiting. I don't really want to tell it anymore. What would it look like if I just stopped telling it? So I just stopped telling it. I did nothing different other than I just stopped telling the story that I was a bad writer. And then what I noticed was when I wanted to go write something and I wasn't sure, I would look it up. I would look up the word. I would look up the grammar rule. I would look up these things. And then when I was curious about how to write dialogue, I would start looking for how to people write dialogue and look at the different ways. And when I stopped making up, I wasn't good at it. I started looking for the things that I needed to know to, to have a different story. And it turns out I'm a pretty good writer. Um, so I, I write um, philosophy really well. I write philosophy of my mind really well. I write, you know, kind of my internal processes well because I started doing it on Facebook. So I have years of, of doing that on Facebook now. Um, but I have almost no experience fiction writing. So I took creative writing classes a couple of times and I, you know, I've tried, but um, anyway, that all being said, I wrote this little book um, in Google Docs. It's like, it exists and it's written called The Legend of Elsie. Um, and it's kind of like if you took a children's book and you like had it read by a philosopher that was giving commentary, philosophical commentary on the children's book. And it's incredibly dark. It's like a tragic, dark story. Um, and it's about an orca named Elsie um, who is witnessing the pollution of the water realm. And like, what can she do about it from her perspective and from her daughter's perspective and from her granddaughter's perspective? Um, so I did write this. Um, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to turn it into an actual book. Um, I don't really, and there's people that have read it and they're thinking about illustrating it, but one of them just had surgery. so. You know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I have two books on my website on uh, philosopherbonnie.com. One of them is a book that I wrote. Actually, Nick was there when I wrote it. And one of the cats was, one of the kittens in the book ended up being his cat. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, and it's called uh, Kitten Cuddle Yoga. Um, and it's available. It's pretty much, it's, it's pay what you want for the ebook. Um, I don't have physical books because printing is complicated. Um, <laughs> printing is really freaking complicated, but they're eBooks and I'm happy to give them away for free. People can just email me. It's, you can go on my website. It's there. Um, I'll put the a other... link up to the website too. And, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's, it's easy. It's philosopherbonnie.com. Okay. Um, but uh, the other one was my quarantine project. Um, I, I have somebody traded me a dear onesie for a manual typewriter um, this time last year. 
and I was busking out of the back of my SUV with a sign that said downloads from the universe um, cool. in, Ocean, in Ocean Beach, um, San Diego, California. And I was typing poems by the beach and I had this huge collection of poems. And I, I was quarantining early in March and, um, or May actually, and I needed a project to do. So I started scrapbooking and I made a 36 page 12 by 12 um, scrapbook book. I call it collage alchemy. You can basically ask it a question and open it to a page and get some kind of answer to your question on that page. Okay. Yeah, so that's also on there, Downloads from the Universe, Volume 1. Um, I'm currently working on Volume 2. It's about half done. And then eventually I'm going to have them published together, but comp it's really complicated. I need a publisher um, okay. because getting somebody to do this properly is like, I have four proofs sitting in front of me that are all equally terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Printing is complicated. So um, one of the ideas I had to start a business was actually a printing company for people like me. But Oh, yeah. Um, how do you feel, like as much as I don't like supporting Amazon, but how do you feel about like the Amazon, um, I don't know what to call it, like uh, to publish your book through them? I know a couple yeah, authors um, that have done that. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like, Kitten Cuddle Yoga is like a little booklet book. Um, okay. I, I, ca I call it like a two-poop book. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a really short book. You can sit and read it in one reading, really. Um, so I didn't feel like it would have any broad appeal. Um, but I feel like if I came up with a book that had broad appeal, that I would do that. Okay. Um, I'm working on it. I mean, I feel like I went from a conversation of like, you know, I'm kind of illiterate and I can't do this, you know, and like I had accommodations throughout um, the end of college and through grad school because of this disability to going from I have a disability to I'm actually a pretty good writer and I'm okay with people reading what I've wrote, written. I'm pretty happy that I've made that progress so far. I'm getting there. So. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I feel that's... like our the words that we tell ourselves really have an impact on, you know, our our potential you know because I do the yeah. same thing with like drawing you know I'm a terrible mm -hmm. drawer I tell myself that all the time and like oh I can't even draw stickmen and stuff but like lately with my daughter uh you know come color with me dad and then I'll like you know sit down and actually like try yeah. to draw something or like look at something and like be able to draw it decently and it's just nice. like these these thoughts that like oh I can't do it or I'm bad at remembering names is another yep. one but I've been trying to tell myself, like, you're not bad at remembering names. Just remember the name, you know, just be more conscious, believe that you can remember it and just like, I don't know, maybe find a new compartment that you can put those names into to memorize them or something, you know, like, yeah, just totally. Yeah. As be soon as more you stop believing, yeah. As soon as you stop believing that you're terrible at it, then your brain starts, you know, coming up with something that, you know, some other story. Yeah. But um, the, the secret really is, and this is also the secret to verbal acupuncture, is that the words I am are particular programming for the brain. It's like I am words don't get stored like kind of normal. The, the, it's like, a, you know, I, the way I think about it is uh, I think I'm probably older than you, but I learned how to program on a computer, AppleSoft Basic, like way, way before like computers were really computers, right? We had them okay. in school. And it was like, you would type something and it would, you know, 10 go to 30 or whatever. And you could put something in there that like meant something to the computer and you could put something in there that didn't mean something to the computer. So I am means something to the computer. And what it does is anything that's attached to it goes into your identity file and it literally shapes who you are. 
It literally shapes what you're capable of. It shapes, it creates blockages also. When you right. say I can't, when you say I can't, that gets stored as a blockage. Yeah, and, or I am not. Yeah, you know, exactly. I am not worthy. I am not whatever, you know, right. like it. Totally. It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and those beliefs absolutely shape your personality. They shape who you are. They shape your beliefs about the way that you're allowed to interact with the world. Um, and if you question those beliefs, you'll find that there's almost none worth holding on to. And when you're doing something like an LSD session, you you have the option, those are kind of the permissions I was talking about, you have the option of absolutely erasing the file. And mm -hmm. then when you reboot, it reboots with a basic empty file and then you start putting new things in it. And anything that was still attached comes back, but it comes back with less of a bond. Yeah, like you're you're able to sort of freely let go of ideas that you've had when subject to, you know, yes. new information or, you know, something that proves it wrong. It's not such a, a deep wound to your core, you know, like, yeah, you know, there's so aliens. Yep. It's like, okay, cool. You know, are, are they going to hurt us? You know, it's, that's more of the idea instead of like, you know, oh my God, there's aliens. My God doesn't exist. And, you know, <laughs> just freaking out about it. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, Anytime like, the mind wants to freak out, it's just it's playing a game. There's it's just it's it's just doing what it's doing. But yeah, yeah. I've become a lot more open minded and just like, you know, accepting of. Wow, maybe I was wrong and I know absolutely nothing, or, you know, yeah. and like another thing going back to like, you know, words really affecting us in, in this world that we live in. Um, it's very dog eat dog and very competitive the way that, you know, capitalism is run. Um, so like people are constantly, you know, talking shit to each other and, you know, like, you know, calling even their friends, like, you know, negative words instead of, um, you know, calling somebody, you know, like I was just talking to, um, Moro, um, he'll, I'll be putting the episode out right away. And he was talking about how he like calls his friends like, hey, King, hey, you know, stuff like that. Instead yeah. of like, oh, hey, bitch, like, how's it going? Or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, you know, when you have like those positive words coming at you and like, even subconsciously, like it, it affects you. And when you have like, I don't know, uh, a friend that's like the opposite of that, where they're like, you know, calling you a bitch or like, you know, like negative in any sort of way like that affects yeah. you as well so like it, once we sort does. of yeah. become more positive towards each other and like community like there's no community right now it's very sad but like it, it seems like there's not much community in our our western uh, the, culture there were really great pockets of community but they 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 got quarantined um <laughs> you were just saying something really interesting that made me think of something which is why i was being short um an interesting story is there's a really amazing, beautiful goddess that I couldn't even speak in front of that always says, hey, beauty, when she's talking to me. And it's like, I, I get triggered so much, or at least used to get triggered so much when she would do that, because I had a piece of programming in my identity file that like wanted me to look over my shoulder and say, who's she talking about? You know, because that wasn't something that could apply to me. Like you didn't because see yourself as beautiful? Not only did I not see myself as beautiful, but I saw myself as absolutely unworthy of being called that. That like, oh. you know, that I was, it's another long story, which I'll tell you if we end up having time. But 
Um, the point is that sometimes the way people greet each other is because they're doing it from a comfort level. So right. the, her greeting me in this positive way did not create community. It made me want to run away. Huh. So I just wanted to point that out, that sometimes the way people do that, it's because of comfort. Um, and it's because they can, they know what their friends are comfortable with, you know, and it doesn't mean it mean everything that you said is still true. Um, you know, it's like suffering is optional. That's true. But to tell that to somebody that suffering is absolutely cruel and you should never do that, yeah. you know? Um, so it, so those things just can be true at the same time. Um, and the community thing is like, but people also bond over stuff like that. So it can create community, but it also creates just what you were saying about all that energy yeah so, anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully we can i don't know get to a point where we're all just closer and caring about each other you know that's that's what i hope for yeah uh letting go of the scarcity illusion is is the key to that yeah. um you know once we understand that they're really that scarcity is manufactured um then we'll be able to come out of that yeah, and like poverty, like it's all just uh, just it's a, all manufactured. Yeah, like, yeah, but people have internalized it. So you know, just because it's manufactured doesn't mean it's not real. You know, and it, it's real and it has real impact. So um, people put into their identity files what they see. You know, uh, the, so the story I was going to tell you, if we had time, it's it's stupid and it's simple. It's just I still have some shame around it. Um, <laughs> is that I, I, I think I already told you, I walked out of my parents' house in the middle of my senior year of high school. So I didn't have health insurance for the first, I mean, I didn't have health insurance until I went to college and then I didn't have it again until I got married. And so very rarely have I had health insurance. Do you, do you get it as a student? Uh, some places you do, yeah. And okay. I did, and okay, I did. Cool. And that's one of the reasons why I spent so much time in school was so that I would be both housed and have health insurance, honestly. Be because you were pretty sick at the time, right? Or yeah. I yeah. mean, the first time I remember being sick was when I was like a baby. And then, so I've, I've had major illnesses every stage of my development. Um, okay. Like major, major crazy things have happened to me. I had viral meningitis. I had, um, I had mono twice. I had closed angle glaucoma in both eyes. I've had crazy, crazy things happen to me. Um, and that's just teeny bits of them. Um, but the story I was just telling you was that I, so I didn't have health insurance. I didn't have dental care and I had worn braces for four years where I couldn't floss and I ate lots of sugar and I didn't understand that you're supposed to brush at a 45 degree angle and that you're supposed to replace your toothbrush. And so I said te terrible dental, you know, hygiene stuff. And I had a lot of cavities and I didn't have money and I didn't want to go to the dentist. So I waited too long. And by the time I got to the dentist, um, I always needed a root canal. So I let them do lots of root canals and there's lots of good evidence why you shouldn't do that. Um, but they would do a root do canal. What? Do root canals? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's, there's wisdom of the body things that I learned from studying the tiny bit of acupuncture that I tried to understand. So I knew what was going on in my body. I, I understand that teeth are like, have a lot to do with the, the organs and the meridians and stuff. So anyway, so okay. what happens is after the root canals, you know, if you don't get the crown put on it, the root canal eventually breaks, the tooth eventually breaks, you have to have the tooth pulled. So I have had most of um, my, my chewing teeth pulled. I, I have, I'm missing a lot of teeth. The ones I have look fine, but I'm missing a lot of teeth. And I still have a tremendous amount of shame around it because what happened was 
I sat in the dentist chair and I beat myself up and I said, you are stupid for doing this. You are blah. You are blah. You know, this is blah. And now you'll have to suffer the consequences of being ugly forever. And so that little talking session that I gave to myself in my early 20s or late teens really stuck with me. And it's like, it wasn't traumatic because I did it to myself. I mean, we can create our own trauma, but like, it wasn't like one of the trauma things that I work on in psychedelic sessions, but it's one of the things I have to work on daily. Like that stuff got encoded so deeply that it still impacts my ability to walk through this world with my head held high. It's like amazing at how difficult that is. And that's one of the reasons I invented verbal acupuncture was to get to it for myself. You know, like really sharply questioning each of these beliefs and letting go just a little more each time of that blockage. So when she says, hey, beauty, I am that child sitting in that chair making those choices about myself. And I'm like, oh, that's not me. That's not for me. Yeah. We're our strongest critics, right? So like what we tell ourselves kind of affects us the most because, you know, that's we're the, the director of our movie. And if the director is saying, you know, this is how we want the movie, that's how the movie's going to be. Yeah. So like, yeah, uh, that's, I'm, I'm sure that's something, you know, hard to get over for sure. Yeah, um, we all do it though. I mean, mm-hmm. we all have like these crossroads where it's like, okay, so I need to change something to my identity file because what just happened didn't work, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and then you do that with the kind of finesse that your parents teach you to do that with, with their parenting. So if your, your parents were really stern and authoritarian, you're likely to do that to yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your parents were gentle and loving, you're likely to love yourself through something like that and, and not be, um, not create so many blockages, you know, be more likely to create, um, you know, kind of a permission-based boundary sh- reshifting than um than a a blocking one yeah i've been reading a lot about like you know resetting generate sorry generational curses and stuff and yeah that that ties a lot into it you know um like you said the stern parents who you know either raise somebody in a religious way that you know is very pressuring that can have a big effect you know just you know pushing somebody too hard in a sport they don't want to play like yeah. a, parenting has a obviously a huge effect or just you know not showing the love or those simple you know small words can really affect the kid and that's where yeah. I find psychedelics really help me is like totally. um while I'm tripping I kind of go over because I, I have a schedule of uh tripping every second weekend so okay. I kind of go over how I treated um Holly my my girlfriend and all of my daughter you know and you know like I really feel a lot of shame for things that I do and I feel you know bad about it and you know like that's what I get out of it mostly is just like you know why did you say that you know like that's gonna stick with her and it's like small stupid things too like I don't know the other day we were in bed and or not in bed uh we were putting her to bed or no she was waking up and uh you know, uh, she had, you know, a little bit of stinky breath or whatever. And I, <clears throat> I mentioned it, but then, you know, I thought about it later and I felt really bad because, you know, that could cause her to have a, um, 
you know anxiety about it or whatever because like I do you know like in school I don't know if somebody you know told me I had bad breath or I was just conscious of other people having bad breath but it's like something that's I don't know in my core that I'm like really conscious about like if somebody's too close I like back up you know thinking like oh they're gonna smell my breath or whatever which I don't have stinky breath but it's just like you know I, I think about stuff that I say to her and like yeah how will it affect her and like you know is it a negative thing or is it a positive thing and you know so I think when you drink a lot of alcohol like you don't really think about that you know it's more so like like for me it got me really egotistical and selfish when I was drinking and you know stuff like that yeah Um, but this it's just total opposite it's like how am I affecting her and you know people around me wonderful that's so great um and I'm totally volunteering to help you do integration work with that stuff because I think that there is no greater um, calling right now than to raising a generation of not broken kids. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, like anybody who wants to dedicate their life to like helping make sure that children are not broken, um, like should be getting supported in any way that the universe can support them. Um, yeah. And I, it's work I want to do and it's work I want to get better at. And I had all kinds of trauma around children that I had to clear before I could even think about working with them and I believed I had cleared it. Um, okay. I think I'm really ready and ultimately I think I'm going to have a foster care kind of like you know like adopting or fostering like teenagers and stuff that have done psychedelics already that are in the okay. foster care system and like really helping them integrate all of their experiences so they age out of the system not broken um, with like you know the ability to be functional in the world and be healers um but anyway um you were saying something something fascinating about the um the your process and um i just wanted to point at something really interesting about it oh um when we have a kind of like a corruption in our identity file and it's trying to work itself out so it knows who it is and how to interact Um, we're likely to spend sessions like that fixing that programming. Once that programming is fixed, then it gets to the point where we're not judging what's happening. So like we don't have to unpack that stuff. What's happening in real time in the moment between stimulus and response then is, oh, I said that. Did it work that I said that? Is it okay that I said that? Do I have some damage control to do here? Right. And, and that's what the space between stimulus and response looks like. So you're, you're working that out and you will get there. And that's, I applaud you highly. Um, I think you deserve a medal for doing that work and everybody <laughs> should be. But we don't know who has a spaciousness to do that. Who has a spaciousness? Really, it's like, you know, the people who have, people who have the skills, the people who have the spaciousness, and the people who have the need are like, you know, again, misallocation of resources, you know. Yeah. But high yeah, five. And, Good job. Well, thanks. And like, I, I find myself like, if I get upset about something and like, you know, I'm stern with her or something, a couple minutes later, I'll be like, hey, I'm sorry I raised my voice, you know? Like, Great, yeah. I just, it just hurts me to the core. Just the idea that, you know, she's anxious or like sad because of what I did, you know? And it just, yeah. I don't know. It just, kills me inside so you're also modeling great behavior when you do that because she then has when she grows up permission to lose her cool and knows exactly how to clean it up Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like she knows how to be human because what happens is people 
like my dad did this around me. He kept himself so incredibly reserved 99% of the time that the couple of times he exploded were unbelievably traumatic. Like, right. you know, he spanked me exact. He spanked me once and slapped me across the face once as a teenager um, and spanked me as a child. And those two things were like some of the most devastating things that I had to work out in therapy for years because there was no healthy there was no healthy human in front of me. There was someone who was trying to do what he thought he should do. And because he was spending so much time thinking what he thought he should do, he wasn't being present with me. You know, you're, you're coming into presence quickly and that's what she needs to learn. Yeah. So was he sort of like, I guess, stoic or whatever they call it when you don't really show emotion? Yeah. My dad was just really wound up very tightly. Um, okay. He had a particular idea of the way that things should be. Um, he kept a really tight lid on his emotions, um, you know, for the whole time I was growing up. As he got older, he softened, and we became great friends. Um, okay, and we had, we, yeah, we were, he was absolutely my best friend. Um, we reconnected about seven years before he died. So we had about seven years um, of a really just wonderful, wonderful, loving connection. Um, but growing up was just different, you know, and he was a single dad. He, he ended up with custody of me. Um, and he was trying to keep food on the table and trying to have a life. And it, you know, he was, and he didn't have any emotional support. I don't think anybody right. was, you know, I'm sure my aunt was there for him, but you know, he didn't really like, he, I don't think my dad ever went to a therapist. So. Yeah. Like your thing said, says here, um, uh people who don't need any fucking therapy <laughs> yeah that's sort of the way i feel but at the same time i i think i could use it you know um yeah even if i don't like need it i think everybody yeah. could use somebody to talk to or something at least you know yeah and what i see is people like me and people that have just done psychedelics in general will be able to go through a training program that i'm sort of envisioning um that that teaches them whatever pieces of like you know, being a good therapist, like, so in the social work program, there, there were three core things that, that upgraded my skill set. One was learning the history of social work and learning how we have fucked things up. Um, one was learning ethics because I hadn't really learned them. Um, and the other piece was um, conscious use of self and knowing when you're projecting and knowing when it's your stuff versus when it's their stuff. And those are the pieces. So on top of therapeutic technique, you, you need all, you know, the whole core. So there'll be training programs that will give you whatever missing pieces you have and let you test out of the other pieces and give you some sort of certification that lets you do things like be a trip sitter. It lets you do things like be, you know, the second on, you know, a thing um, where there's like a lead therapist, but you're like the next person. And that right. will give a lot of people who have done like the festival circuits who have already been doing this work, the ability to get licensed in a thing and then be able to get paid for what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my ultimate goal is to become sort some sort of psychedelic therapist, whether it's, I don't know if I should say therapist, but like a guide maybe, or, a, yeah. you know, a, somebody yeah. to talk to after that can sort of integrate the, what you saw. Um, yeah like an inspiration specialist yeah yeah and i've um i've been looking into i think it's called like psychedelic school or something and they have a course um and it teaches you kind of 
how to do all that sort of stuff to be uh, become a yeah. practitioner. Um, it's kind of expensive and there's a, it's not like recognized because obviously like this stuff isn't legal and stuff yet, but yeah, I don't know. I, that has been kind of calling out to me because, yeah. you know, but at the same time, I don't know if, I don't know. I, I think it's needed because just the information and all like the damage control and all that yeah. stuff that you would learn. Um, well, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing if I can teach verbal acupuncture. Um, and I'm very interested in seeing if I can even teach my techniques in general. Um, so I'm, I'm super happy to teach you everything I know. Um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely yeah. be down to, to learn from you and yeah. throw, throw you some, uh, some tuition fees. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I am open to being in service to the universe, and I trust that my support comes. The, the more I am in service, um, well... It's not the more I'm in service. It's the more capacity, and that's not true either. Um, I don't know what exactly the truth is, but I know that in order for um, for my needs to be met, it's not true either. I'm going to stop talking about that. Um, I have a I have your, you know muscle testing, right? Muscle testing. Yeah. So there's there's like this whole branch of of woo woo stuff that okay. lets you. Um, that's you muscle test to see whether or not something is um, is supportive or destructive for you, basically. Okay. Um, and so, if the muscle goes weak, it's just it's destructive for you. You know, anybody if you muscle test them and you put sugar in their hand and you do muscle testing, they will they will respond with weakness to that because you know, sugar is universally weakening. Um, according to somebody that told me this, I haven't tested okay. this with everybody obviously, um, but I do this kind of internal muscle test where. I used to, I was actually a compulsive liar when I was a child. I learned that it got me what I wanted and then I learned the consequences of it. So I had to process all that. And anyway, so I don't lie anymore. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm not even capable of doing because of a level of integrity I have to not doing harm. Um, so I have this thing on the end of my tongue that's, I call it a truth detector. And so it gets to that, it gets to that spot and then it can't come out any further without me checking to see if it's true or not. And okay. I used to I used to spend hours and days and months and years trying to figure out if a thing was true, and then I learned about muscle testing. So I have this. Um, my visualization of it is ridiculous. There's a book <laughs> I read, probably in the Incarnations of Immortality by Piers Anthony, I think. Um, and there's a character I think it might have been Thanatos um, that had a ring that he called Sning S N I N G because it was a snake ring. Um, and Sning would, would tighten once um, for yes and two for no or vice versa, I don't remember. Um, and so, so Death was able to ask yes or no questions and get answers. I, since I read that book, have been trying to set up a system inside of me that works the same way. And so I call it my inner knowing thingy. Um, and it, it tells me whether or not something's true based on that same muscle testing principle. So you just heard me do it, where I, I kept going to say something that wanted to go into my identity file, but before I was going to let it in, I wanted to know whether or not it was true. And so I let very little into my identity file these days because it's not true. So, <laughs> so. is that almost like a, like a conscious version of like having a gut feeling or something? You totally. I mean? it, it, yeah. it is absolutely... I think of it as the the English interface, like you know the the translation matrix 
between thinking and feeling. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Because I'm rarely in my body deeply enough to like have the gut instinct be that nuanced, you know, be that quick. It's like, I'll have a gut feeling about something, but like it has to be a pretty big dose of a gut feeling for me to feel it. You know what I mean? You know, but um, I, the whispers, I, I noticed that when I follow the whispers, I don't get slapped as often. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed myself, um, I have a lot of like half knowledge, you know, like I, I read something and then I get the gist of it. But then when I go to like tell somebody, oh yeah, like I read about this and then it's like, uh, I only know like, you know, parts right. of it and like to explain <laughs> yeah. it, I sound like an idiot. And yeah. so, <laughs> but also like hearing something enough to get an aha about it is enough to make it interesting to you. Mm-hmm. But, but not enough to have to have worked on you long enough for you to develop an understanding matrix to be able to tell it from all directions. Yeah, for sure. You know, it takes like a while to percolate to be able to do something like that. Yeah, and like actually discussing it with somebody multiple times to like actually wrap your head, head around the idea and have a good understanding of it with like them talking back and, you know, like actually focusing on the topic. Like I, I noticed myself... Um, I like to listen to like mythology podcasts and stuff at work. So like, you know, I, I sort of have these like this, like even a quarter knowledge of the stories they tell me, cause I'm sort of like half distracted, but if I was actually listening to it um, and was able to talk to somebody about it, you know, then it would help a lot. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I have troubles actually having the full knowledge to speak about things and, I, yeah, I, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And I, I recognize that in me and that all I can say about that is, um, you know, it's sort of like, have you ever played the original Le- Legend of Zelda? Um, not overly, but I've, I've like, you know, I have friends that played it. Yeah. yeah. So what happens is you fill in the map little, like one little bit at a time. Okay. You know? And it's the same way with human understanding and knowledge is we fill in the map one little bit at a time. Um, and eventually the points of the map connect in the same way that they connect in Zelda. All of a sudden you can just like, you know, blow your whistle and you can transport yourself to all these different places really quite effortlessly instead of having to walk through the whole board. Our minds are very much the same. Right. So it's like if you walked a straight path, like through an area, you would have that sort of like little bit of knowledge, but you wouldn't have the whole area totally. unlocked sort of thing yeah okay i understand totally. what you're saying yeah and when you once you unlock enough of it you can zoom out and you can see the overall patterns yeah okay yeah, yeah i've yeah. never used the analogy before it's a pretty good one <laughs> yeah um, no that's a good one yeah there's something i wanted to talk about like way a long time ago when we were talking about microdosing the nn dmt i wanted to just footnote that we tried it with 5meo dmt as well with not at all the same effect really yeah it was um, entirely it was entirely different and not and it didn't work very well in that tiny microdose way. It was like, or maybe we didn't dilute it enough. Like it may just be that five is so unbelievably powerful that we needed to dilute it two or three more times than we actually did. We needed to do it maybe two or three more times more than the NM. Yeah, well, I've heard it's like somewhere between eight to 10 times stronger or something. Not visually, but like the you know, mental trip or whatever. I've never tried yeah. five meal, so I'm just really? talking from what I've heard. Yeah. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah. I'd I'd like that to try it. That was the biggest life changing, huh? I it's it's legal to order here in Canada, actually. Like it's a 
yeah. it's not a scheduled drug. So, well, as soon as your borders open, if you want somebody to hold a hold space for you, I know a couple of people. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, <laughs> yeah, but I bet that's one that I would there. need. Like five meal is something I've heard of things going wrong with five meal, so I would yeah. just like to have somebody there. Obviously, like and and yeah. I'm I'm cool with doing it by myself. Other than like, I don't know. I feel like something might screw yeah, with my body while I'm gone. But that's a pretty hard one to do by yourself. So the first like lot of it's kind of like jumping out of an airplane. You want to be pretty yeah. damn sure that you're comfortable pulling that. <laughs> yeah, you want to be pretty sure you're all right because yeah. even just. And it's the same problem with NN also is getting that last hit in order to get where you, in order to really have a full release dose to get that last hit, you're not holding the pot. You can't be managing fire at that point. Yeah. Like you need somebody else to manage the fire for you. At, at the very least you need somebody there, you know, it's like make sure if you're going to purge that you've got like something that you need it. Yeah. I know people that have done enough five, you know, after months that they were super comfortable doing it on their own, but they're still not even doing full release doses. So yeah. not usually, they're usually doing small, but um, what was my point? Oh, I thought I knew stuff. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> <laughs> like I thought I was smart. I thought I knew stuff. I thought I was, I had all these things in my identity file about like how, how clever I was until I did five. <laughs> it was the most humbling, humbling experience of my entire life. And it completely stuck with me. Because I am absolutely clear, there is nothing here at all. I'm I'm holding a pipe. I'm holding a lighter. Big lighters are the most fascinating things in the entire world to me since this experience. Um, but <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I what have about done hour-long talks on how fascinated I am by big lighters. Um, <laughs> 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 because there's nothing solid here. All that's here is energy and commentary. That's all. <laughs> there is no even commentator. There is commentary and there is energy. That's it. Yeah. I, I'm, like, I know that experientially. I know that in a way you cannot take that away from me. <laughs> the reason I have such inner peace, because all of this is, is made up. All of this is fiction. This is all literally the matrix, you know, for different purposes. You know, the thing about the matrix is they had to have some sort of plot, you know, but if you take out all of the plot of the matrix and you just leave the structure of it, this is the matrix. Yeah, you know. definitely. Yeah. yeah, and especially like what scares me about that is like we're all sort of being locked down, and who knows if we're gonna move into like some sort of VR world or something, you know, where like we we do our work in a VR that. world, you know? Yeah, I have a and friend that, that just got me. a she got a treadmill that she can go to any place through Google Earth. She, the, the treadmill and Google Earth are synced up in such a way that she walked around um, like a like a city block in Paris while she was on her treadmill. And like, it was very much VR. So there's part of our society that is absolutely going that way. You know, Elon Musk is is the the poster boy for it. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like, get, we got to get off this planet because he sees, you know, he sees the same thing I do. But because only a certain percentage of us are going to want to come together, you know, a certain percent of a just percentage of us. And I would have been in this former category had it not been for entheogens prior to me smoking weed in my late thirties um, are actually my brownie um, prior to having that brownie in my late thirties, I would have been like, get me a brain into a jar now, please. Like that would be great. You know, I would have been one of them. Now I see that true freedom and true peace and true inner peace and connection and everything that I was 
truly wanting but didn't think was available um, is available through through connection through wholeness and not you know part of society is going to want to go separate more because it doesn't know it doesn't really know experientially that there's another option mm -hmm. you know and that's why I think these, this this festival circuit was so great, but also like we're going to have to reorganize now because I don't think we're ever going to be allowed ever again in my lifetime to have a life like we did. I I mean I think that it's going to I think things have shifted. Um, in in I mean in, your group gatherings. I, I think I think your children have a shot at having the same kind of community that we enjoyed until recently, but yeah. I I I don't I don't see. I don't see it happening in my lifetime again. Um, I'm 48. I don't know how long I'm going to live, but um, but we had we had such unbelievable freedom, um, you know, this last bunch of years to uh, to have these massive festivals just for the sake of doing it. And now there's always going to be a calculation of is is it too much of a risk to do mm -hmm. that? Yeah, like, that's, that's sad. That's, that's been introduced now, and I and I don't think you know. I mean, the virus has already mutated, and it's you know, let's. People are putting their hopes into a vaccine, but you know, I will. I, I think that there's no point in trying to predict the future. Um, I think the historians are going to have an, a fun time, you know, mastering this time period and understanding it and writing about it, so that the children that are being born into it have a chance at having an an impact, you know, by shifting it. Anyway, um, yeah. I spent a lot of time. I try. I spent a lot of time thinking about how to mitigate suffering, and uh, pretty much all of my free time thinking about how to mitigate suffering. Um, what was the question? I don't remember. Was I saying something interesting? I'll try and well, find the thread. I was just going to say, uh, you were talking about how time or how things won't really get back to the way they were with festivals and stuff. Um, yeah, no, they won't because th th we've lost our innocence is what yeah. happened. You know, it's like there will just never, it's the same thing that once you've had kids, you know, you could go, before you had kids, you could shut off your phone, you could go into the woods and, right, you didn't have anybody that was, like, really counting on you. You could just go be alone, right? Yeah. Now there's a calculation of, there's a calculation about that. There's the what happens if calculation that there wasn't before because there was nothing, there was no, there was nothing in your reality that had you need that question. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, um, that's sort of why like holly won't trip with me is because like um there's always that like you know what if feeling and yeah you know if you're high for eight hours and like obviously we would bring olive to you know grandma's or wherever um yeah. but you know there's always that feeling with her and yeah. i totally understand that she'll smoke uh, dmt with me which like that's awesome yep. we, we we really make like a you know it means a lot to both of us and it's really therapeutic and kind of a ceremony for us and stuff so um i'm grateful that she does that with me i would like to you know do a little uh lsd yeah. trip with her and you know really connect and stuff but if if that's not what she, you know she's comfortable with and like i totally yeah. get that like what if something did happen you know um who knows so i understand but yeah. prior to us having a kid she did trip with me once in a while um like on mushrooms so yeah, you know, I'm grateful that we had those experiences, and it is what it is. But yeah, yeah, and you're right. It is, and, it, yeah. and it's fine, and you adapt, and it is what it is, and and this is for a good reason, you know. So it's like probably easier to accept it because it's for mm -hmm. a good reason. But the loss of freedom is still there. 
you yeah. know. And it's not loss of freedom like in a bad way. It's just like you're a little bit less free. You're a little bit less able to meld into the collective consciousness for as long as you want because there is a separateness that you are, quote, responsible for that you're also very attached to. Mm -hmm. you know, part of your identity file is being a dad. I saw it on your, you know, family man. I thought that was yeah. the greatest ever. So, I just changed that actually. I, I had like my name is Seamus, and you know, I had that since I started the started Facebook and stuff. That was my nickname, and you know, like I don't know, it was sort of like a joke profile in a way. Like I had a goofy um, nickname and stuff, and I don't know. I just felt like it was time to change. You know, I, yeah. I felt like that was sort of holding me in a spot, you know, spot. You know what I mean? And yeah. Once you I changed, changed that, I felt file. great, yeah. you know? Yeah, you changed your identity file, and then you changed your decor to match. Yeah. 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 It's like uh, taking down the posters that, you know, like your new kids on the block posters and putting them <laughs> sophisticated. Yeah, like <laughs> mature. Or whatever your generation had. Up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How old are you? Uh, 27. Oh, yeah, yeah. You definitely didn't have any kids on the block. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I didn't either, but that was like, you know, that that was the, the term of, I had, Tiffany, uh, I, had, <laughs> I had Tiffany and Michael J. Fox and, okay. yeah. and the Corys. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah. What did, I want to tell you a couple other things. Um, I would say that, you know, you can't explain the taste of salt. So you can't explain what a 5-MEO um, trip is. Mm -hmm. but, um, but because you've had the experience of NN and because you've had the LSD experience, I would say if you took maybe like a 10 strip experience and condensed it into about 40 minutes, you would get about the intensity of a five trip. Um, and then the, 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 like the, what you actually have to do is exactly the same with NN. It's just a little bit of a different flame and a little bit of a different, you know, like that's basically the same thing. I think that you and your wife probably could do small amounts of five together because you have that NN experience and you'd be mm -hmm. fine. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. A full, I wouldn't try and do a full release dose um, at first. I would work up to that. Yeah. Um, but um, I can tell you from experience, um, God, am I really going to say this? Hang on, let me just check. Yeah, yeah. I want to say this. Um, I healed a lot of sexual wounds. And I mean a lot, a lot, a lot of sexual wounds. Um, sharing five with a partner um, in, in small doses and, and have, and, and I was also on MDMA at the same time. So it was the one and only time I've done an MDMA, but mixing MDMA and, um, and five was just the most miraculous sexual release experience ever. Like there was just no distinction. There were no bodies. It was just, it was, it was the, the purest metaphysical orgasm. Um, so like uh, you said, um, like sexual traumas, like from previous yeah. Um, relationships. Yeah. yeah. So what happened, you know, what happens in, 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 in integration sessions and healing sessions and stuff like that anyway, is stuff comes up to be cleared. And because you're not attached to it in any way, it just simply clears. So in any way that I was ever self-conscious about walking around naked, in every way that I was self-conscious about connecting with someone, wondering what they're thinking, wondering if I'm safe, wondering if they're going to know what I want, if knowing what they want, like all of these thoughts just absolutely vanished when I was on five. Because when you're on five, thoughts just vanish because all that's there is energy. 
So my heart was completely open and the thoughts entirely vanished. And I was able to just fully bond with this person. It was, it was pretty miraculous. It was like, and I got super attached to him and he was not a good person to get attached to (laughs) because it was just, it was one of those where he was a healer that had come into my life that um, has done a lot of five um, and um, a lot of psychedelics in general and a lot of really high level psychological work was like a therapist and he just, he just happened into my life. And it was, it was Valentine's Day a couple years ago and I had decided that I was going to have um, a date with myself and I, I got MDMA for my date. Um, and I messaged him or he messaged me and I said, come over. And he, he was kind of hemming and hawing. I'm like, just come over. And I just I let the universe just like speak through me. And he did come over. And it was just this most miraculous experience. It was really quite delightful. Um, and he does not remember it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just like, not that he doesn't remember it, but it was like, you know, it was like this miracle thing for me. And for him, it was just another experience. So, right. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, it took something for me to not be attached there. Um, because you know what? It's, and this is back to what I was saying before, is, is when we're living a life of scarcity, I'm living a life of touch scarcity. I just wrote a poem about it. You know, it's just because it doesn't feel good for me to open up to people who aren't doing their work, um, you know, who aren't, who, who aren't in their bodies, who are like really disconnected and in that VR kind of way, it doesn't feel good for me to connect with them. Like, so I don't. And so I'm touch starved because we have actual touch needs. Um, so when we live in this world of scarcity, it's really easy to get attached to a little bit of nourishment. You know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's like when you, when you touch on a little fountain of nourishment, it's just so easy to get attached. So all of these women that you see that are boy crazy, they're not boy crazy. They got like a touch of nourishment that they've been craving. That's so rare. And anytime we get crazy about people, it's just that we've gotten nourishment from them that is scarce in our, our world otherwise. Yeah, you get that, like, um, I guess dopamine rush or whatever. Like, you get that high from, you know, connecting that, with somebody. Yeah, totally. That too. Yeah. Um, I mean, our brain releases all kinds of bonding chemicals. Yeah, all that mm-hmm. stuff. But that's on top of just the very real thing. You know, any kind of thing that we do um, that's, you know, kind of out of alignment with kindness or or inner peace really um, is like a tragic expression of an unmet need. That's a, those are Marshall Rosenberg's words um, with a slightly spun concept. Um, So anytime we're kind of like not, anytime we're out of the realm of inner peace, it's really a tragic expression of an unmet need. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. See that came through the truth detector sign. Because yeah. yeah, I, 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 I check, go I, go, I go through the truth connect um, detector, and then right after it, there's like a little note, and the note tells me whether or not it's in resonance or it's discordant. So like I'll get to check mark. Yeah, it's like when I said, "Okay, I like that," it was because I had heard it being in resonance. It's not quite, it's not quite in tune. Like I, I could play with the, the tension on that a little bit, but it's good. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I would have said something like that because it would be too discordant for me to completely agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Um, crap, I forgot what I was going to say now. Yeah, we've been... This is wonderful. You do good Yeah, I know. I love doing this. Like, it's a lot of fun, especially, like, somebody like you that we can just go back and forth and talk about experiences, and yeah. it's great. 
Thank you if for you being have a guest. questions for me, because I haven't let you ask many of them. <laughs> we probably uh, covered all the topics, but. Not overly. I've, I've asked a few that I was sort of wondering about, like the verbal acupuncture I was curious about. And actually this homelessness. Would you, do you feel like your idea of homelessness and even like addiction and stuff changed after psychedelics? Oh yeah, totally. Because I didn't understand. I mean, I had so many judgments and I have a master's degree in social work and our social work program like teaches you how to judge better, I guess, but it doesn't teach you how not to judge. So, okay. I mean, just... You know, I, I spent, out of the last six years, I spent about three of them being pretty damn homeless. Um, you know, the other three, I was caregiving for some of it. I've stayed with friends. I've had house-sitting things. But for about half of that, on and off, I, I was pretty damn homeless. And so because of my skill set and because I don't know what else to do, um, I just started studying it. I would go to these um, community meals. People call them feeds. We'd go to feeds, and I would, like, watch people, and I would see the drug use and I would see the psychedelic use and I would see what people were doing. And I started kind of like asking questions um, because I came to the understanding that I, I came to the understanding that if it was if somebody wasn't making sense to me, that was my failing, not theirs. Um, and so I was trying to figure out how everybody made sense. And then somebody finally told me one day, they were like, you know, if you're sitting here on a street corner and you're flying a sign you know, like holding a sign that says something and you're flying a sign and you're just like dealing with people's energy and you're just like being with it. He's like, it's a fuck more like less. He's like, it doesn't suck as much when you're on LSD. He's like, just, uh, you know, and somebody can give you a drop of LSD and it like doesn't cost much. And it's like a good, you know, sharing of resources and stuff like that, making sure everybody has their needs met. And one of the needs is being able to cope with your circumstances. And you know, I mean, being in, a, in another realm of consciousness while you're doing 3D reality is like a way to cope. And I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And then watching all these people that kind of do the festival circuits and kind of also live mostly homeless, that just like they couch surf, they figure it out, they, you know, sleep in their vehicles, they whatever. Most of them have done a lot of psychedelics. Um, and most of them are just, they don't have much of an attachment to the way things look. They really only care about the way things feel and the way things are. Um, and I think when you let go of the way things look, then you stop doing an awful lot of things that don't make any sense. So it's, uh, I don't know, I have a lot of empathy for, I have a lot of people, a lot of empathy for people who have lived with nothing. Uh, because yeah. you find out what's really important. And I, like I said, I, I did it accidentally you know, when I was in my 20s, or I guess late teens, actually, I ran out of money, and then I ended up moving in with my grandmother so I could finish graduating high school. Um, and then I did it on purpose um, in, like, 2015-ish. It was actually, it was 2015, and I can tell you actually the moment that it happened. Um, I was at, um, I'd gone to see Alma the Hugging Guru, um, and one of the things um, there's like a program where there's like, you know, somebody speaking on a, on a film and they're, they're playing this thing um, while she's hugging. And um, one of the things that they said was this story, um, and I feel like it's worth telling, um, of um, the guy that his father died. His father was dying and his father gave him a magic purse as he was dying. And um, the 
the dad died before the son got the magic words that refilled the purse. Um, and so it had coins in it and he spent them and he was trying, you know, trying to work out how, how to walk right in this world based on having a magic coin purse that he didn't know the magic words to. Anyway, he, he's just about to run out of money and a, a beggar comes to the door and asks him for, for something. And he says, you know what? He's like, why don't I let the last of what I have do some good? And he gives it to the beggar, and the beggar says, oh, thank you, universe, thank you, Lord, thank you, God, whatever. And the purse refills. It was the gratitude that refills the purse. And so I thought about it, and I had like, I don't know, I think I had $10 left. I hadn't run out of money yet. I had, I had always like held on to like the last little bit so that I couldn't say that I was completely broke. Um, and so I, had, I took whatever money I had, and it, it, was, it was less than $20. I don't remember how much it was, but it was less than 20 I took everything I had, and I put it into the envelope that they were passing around after this story, because of course, that's a good time to do it. And, um, and I wrote on there, thank you. And so I, I had nothing, absolutely nothing. I didn't know how I was going to put gas in my car. I didn't know how I was going to eat. I didn't know how I was going to pay my phone bill. I didn't know how I was going to do anything, but not that the money that I had was going to do much of that anyway. Um, but then I went and I told the, the food vendor about it. And um, by the way, I was microdosing. Um, I, was on, I, was, I, was, I was on a very, very small dose of psilocybin, okay. I think. Pretty sure. Yeah, it was definitely Sultan. Um, because I don't know how else you do it. Amal Hugging Guru. Um, but I love I that. Have... Like when you said that name, it just made me smile. <laughs> the Hugging yeah, Guru. Totally. That's amazing. Yeah, totally. Which is the re And then I started giving hugs too. This is a good story, actually. So anyway, I went out to the food vendor and um, I was sort of like, I was just walking there with my hands in my pockets, just sort of looking at the food and like wondering how that was going to work. Um, and I told them the story that I had just given the money. I told them the story, the whole story, and um, they gave me food. And then I told somebody else the story, and they gave me gas money. And I told somebody else the story, and you know they gave me a place to stay. And then I really just sat down like the next day, and I had run out of money again, and I was hungry. And I'm like, all right, I was in the plaza of Taos, New Mexico, and I, I just I sat there, and I'm like, I'm hungry, and I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, and so I made a sign that said, uh, great hugs, because I didn't want to make them free. Um, and I actually put out a tip jar the first time I did it because my intention was to, to get money for doing this. Um, but I realized when I had nothing, I still could give hugs. I still could give something. So it was, I could still give. And that was, I knew, important to the equation. So anyway, I stood there and I gave hugs and I didn't get money in the tip jar. But a woman who had been watching me give hugs um, saw me and asked what I was up to and I told her that I was hungry and that I didn't have anything to give so I was giving hugs because I wanted to make the system work and it was like really in order to at the time and then she fed me and it took like a long time for me to understand that I had to give without the in order to that that was an attachment and that if I gave freely just to give that that started the mechanism it's like putting a key in an ignition starting the car you know um, that it's it's a it's a chemical process as much as you know anything else so anyway but it took me a couple of years before i got to the point where i was i was telling any story other than i was broke and then i stopped telling the broke story and then all of a sudden i started getting my needs met really kind of without a whole lot of work you know sometimes i would have to make a phone call and be like you told me to call you if I was suffering and I'm not suffering yet, but I'm about to be, can you help me? And I would make two or three of those phone calls and I would be okay. You know, so 
um, I'm now to the point where like I'm really interested in having all of my needs met so that I can really show up for people because it's not an egoic thing at this point. It's a I feel really underutilized and yeah. we have, and and I want to be part of the solution where we're reallocating our resources so that for the greater good yeah. um, and I want to be part of that. So because I'm coming from that perspective, I see things working out better. But it's like we have to figure out how to walk through this world in a way that we don't trip and we're not always getting slapped. Yeah. You know, that, that's been my journey for the last six years of traveling. You know, I've been across the country eight times. I studied homelessness everywhere I went because I was in it, you know? Yeah, and it makes you, yeah, uh, feel it more and obviously, like, humbles you to know that it could happen to anybody, you know? Just that one decision could, yeah. you know? put you on the street or whatever um yeah. first of all uh it sounds like you made a sacrifice to the universe <laughs> with your uh, donation that's awesome um like where you wrote thank you on the uh yeah on that card it wasn't a sacrifice it was a gift it was just no like, i know but like from yeah. from another perspective it, uh, like i love it it just you know it seems like a sacrifice in a way and and it didn't you know it, 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 it felt like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute because you know the airplane's not real <laughs> that's, oh, what okay. like. yeah. that's what it felt like it, it felt like knowing that the container that I thought I was jumping out of was was story yeah. it was really all connected and it's all the universe experiencing itself and it, it doesn't the, I think the universe doesn't appreciate suffering I think suffering is is a is a is an avatar choice you know in the yeah. same way that, that we choose like the shoes that we wear you know, the amount of suffering, I think, is is that level of choice. But again, don't ever tell anybody that suffering, that suffering is a choice that is unkind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are circumstances that, like, keep you in a, a certain totally. um, rut yeah. or whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, to tell somebody that suffering is yeah. a but choice. It's only, it's only optional if you've, like, unlocked enough achievements that you have, you have, uh, you have, manual control over those settings yeah right so telling somebody who's on like automatic play mode that those settings exist is utterly unhelpful to them yeah. <laughs> you know yeah because it doesn't for them it doesn't exist for them until it does telling them that it's a setting that does exist once you've unlocked enough achievements may be helpful um but not when they're in the middle of it at all not when they're in the middle of a battle you know, yeah. that would be like not a good time to tell them that there's a setting that happens at some point when they unlock enough achievements. That's not a good time to tell them. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of like the anxiety and depression that's, you know, plaguing our our world is from, like you said, just not feeling um, utilized and like your potential isn't met, you know, like. So many. That's why we have so many suicides after the military service. Because yeah. people get such high-level training to show up in very, very particular ways that have absolutely no translation whatsoever to civilian yeah. life. If we were in community, then, you know, um, we would find people... Anyway, you were just... You were summarizing something that was more interesting than what I just said. Well, no, like, I just... Um, like, me, myself, I, I feel very, uh, you know, underutilized as well. And, you know, I have a few friends that are, like, super smart that, you know... Um, just need a helping hand up to, you know, be able to, um, you know, find a job or, you know, yeah. like find what they're good at. Cause I know they're good at stuff. They know they're good yeah. at stuff. It's just like, what? Because we weren't trained to find that. What, you know, we're trained <laughs> right. to all do the same thing and graduate and then pick a path that, you know, right. we grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan. So 
you don't know the possibilities out there. You know, that was my biggest thing. It's like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, yeah. you know, nothing seems interesting. And then now I like video games did, but like, there's no money in it and you have to go to school and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. now like psychedelics, I feel a huge <laughs> pull towards it and like helping people. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I do. And yeah. yeah, so like, I'm sort of, I'm working towards like, you know, finding how I can utilize yeah. myself and my potential and how I can help others find their potential so that, you know, cause if we had everybody on a livable playing field, then like everybody could, you know, contribute and, you know, maybe somebody could start a business that otherwise wouldn't be able to, or, you know, like patent their idea that, you know, could save yeah. the world or whatever, you know, like it's not just these rich people that have the good ideas by any means you know like oh just... i mean the, the the people that are in charge almost are never the experts and the mm -hmm. people who get their ideas made are almost never the the most brilliant ones mm -hmm. and I you mean, get bought out by those other guys and then they suppress those ideas yeah no the system that we're living under is 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 not designed set up for planned for um doesn't even really allow true happiness you know, and, and what's happening is if we have, if we end up with, with unlocking the achievement that we bring up enough unbroken kids, this generation that's growing up right now, um, they will have children that have the potential of living in world peace um, yeah. by creating community. But if, if the broken, see, hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. So we need to raise enough of a generation of kids that are unhurt that are uninterested in hurting and unwilling to be hurt so that they put up these um, these permission boundaries, right, to keep damage mm -hmm. from happening. And, like, we put that around the earth also. Like, we have to – the number of levels that we can unlock, I can only see a couple deep. You know, it's like playing a chess game. I can see the opening moves for this, but, like, I can't even imagine the rules of the game to be able to imagine the rest of the game. They're going to invent the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, so. like, it's all stepping stones, you know? Like, we're sort of climbing a ladder, oh. and the higher you climb, the more you can see. That's why I call it achievements to unlock, because, you know, yeah. you have to unlock, like, the first couple to be able to do, like, the really fancy stuff later. You know, mm -hmm. and the first couple are being able to talk to each other, learning to be in our bodies and what it feels like being connected and being okay with that feeling. <laughs> like, doing more of that. Like, it's really simple stuff, eating food that the body can build a body out of. You know, mm -hmm. finding blockages and let, getting them to go one way or another, you know. Um, yeah. You know what really gave me that, oh, just to reflect on what I just said, what really gave me that insight about the blockages was that I, I kept looking at this mushroom and I'm like, there's nothing in this mushroom that can give me something I didn't have before. Like, this mushroom isn't giving me something. It has to be unlocking something. Right. And, and the mushroom can unlock it and chiropractic can unlock it and meditation can unlock it and all these different modalities can unlock it, then it must be that the connection is always there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Because yeah. if anything, yeah, it's just like clearing out, like you said, these blockages that don't allow us to find the magic or find the, you know, the happiness yeah. or whatever, so. Don't allow us to experience what there is to experience. Yeah. I mean, and that's, why are we here? I mean, that's the fundamental question, you know, and, and the answer that feels true enough is that we're here to experience what there is to experience from our own point of view. That's it. Or we're here for a 40 hour work week 
<laughs> to write, retire at 65. And <laughs> to make wealth for the shareholders. Yeah. yeah. The American dream. Yeah. The American dream. <laughs> Is the Canadian dream all that different? Sadly, no. Not really. <laughs> it's it's pretty much it. About it. We're little America <laughs> up here, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all it's all just a Western idea up here. Still. So, so I don't know. Hopefully it changes. Like, I don't know. We like to think that we're nice, but doesn't seem like it, you know? Well, like, nice is pretty violent. It's another Marshall Rosenberg quote. Um, you know, what nice is coming from, nice is coming from a perspective of, of protection. You know, it's not coming from a perspective of openness. Kindness is coming from a perspective of openness. Right. Yeah. Okay. Nice is not necessarily something to strive for. Yeah. That should be like the base. <laughs> well, you know, it's also, I mean, we could spend another three hours talking about this topic, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's not interesting enough for me to put any energy into it. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah. What else would you like to talk about? Do you have um, like any experiences that, you know, stand out? Any like high, higher dose psilocybin experiences or I, I haven't done five meals so if you have any stories of that like actually yeah. in depth um yeah uh my my first my first dose of it was not a full release dose it was about probably half um and I didn't have any idea what to expect at all um I had done NN once and it was a small dose sorry I had done NN twice the first one was a, a small dose. The second one was almost full release. Um, and I was in a tent at a festival. Um, and uh, my, he has become my closest friend. He is definitely my medicine man. He's the one that I trust with my psyche. I trust with my identity file. I trust with my, my physical body. Um, I trust him completely. Um, he had some. Um, it was actually... Um, toad he had collected actually it was okay. um, yeah and um he's like hey i've got this want to try it <laughs> <laughs> and i i said yes before i thought about it and i questioned it and i'm like should i not do this and then i, I went back and forth with this inner knowing thingy for quite a while trying to decide if i felt safe and then finally decided that i i didn't need to think about it anymore that it felt like it was a good idea um, but it's sort of like taking LSD and not knowing what you're getting into, <laughs> right. uh, but it's very short acting. So it was over. It's kind of like a roller coaster that you didn't mean to go on. Um, <laughs> that is over quickly enough that it's not all that traumatic. Um, but I, I didn't really understand what was happening at all. Um, but what I, I did come away from it knowing was without a doubt was that I, everything that I thought that I knew about the way energy worked was wrong. Um, everything I thought I knew about the way the body worked was wrong. Um, and it sent me into a pretty deep questioning everything phase that lasted for like over a year. Um, it took me over a year to integrate those first two sessions. The second session was a full release dose. The only time I've done a full, no, maybe I've done a full release dose two or three times actually. Um, and I, again, same roller coaster, but I did, still didn't know what to expect because it's like different kind of every time. Mm -hmm. This time was I, same person, 
I was up on my knees um, when I like kind of like the thing that I thought that I was went entirely offline. You know, that was my first experience of the thing that I thought that I was going entirely offline. Um, the my identity file like it's like booting a computer up into safe mode, you know, like you can't, it was just it's sort of not really. Um, but so it's like ego death, basically. Entirely, entirely, yeah. entirely ego death. Yes. Okay. Thank you for, for reminding me that there were words to describe it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's easy to not have to reinvent the wheel for everything I'm trying to describe. Um, <laughs> yeah, so sure. it, was total, it was total ego death, but not, not in the way that I ever thought ego death was. It was just, I went offline and what was left when I went offline was energy that was screaming through me um, in a literal scream. I didn't know that I was screaming. Um, I was screaming for a good 10 minutes and didn't know I was screaming. Um, I, I, I was experiencing the energy of the universe move through that scream and all I was was energy and the commentary. Like the commentary, the energy were completely separate things. I could see how separate they were. I could experience how separate they were. And there was no me. I was perceiving, I was perceiving without being Bonnie. I was perceiving without being me, without having an identity file at all, without that separateness, without the thing that keeps us from walking into a bus. Yeah, I was that's... perceiving without that for a good 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You said you were screaming. What, did you feel sort of like a loosening of, I don't know, your chi or whatever, or like more of a flow of your energies? I, and like... No, it was like I went from being a stuck little mouse to being the Amazon, flowing, like oh. rushing, being like a rushing, you know, rapids, you know, like going over like, like Niagara Falls. Wow. Yeah. It, it, but it was like, I was literally, and, and all of this trauma, all of this stuckage, all of this blockage, all of this stuff that I've had in me forever, everything that I didn't say, everything I was afraid to say, everything that I said and then stuffed down, everything that I ate down, you know, emotional eating, everything that I had packed into me was flowing in that screen. And, and then I realized I was screaming, realized that I was, at the time, I was, um, I was in somebody else's space. Um, and that there were actual neighbors and there were people and there were things to be worried about. And I snapped out of it as soon as I recognized that I was screaming, but that was literal sound I was making and like really pulled myself out of it and like checked in with my friend. And then he got upset with me because he wasn't all that good at facilitating yet because actually he'd only done it twice really facilitated and it was both times with me. Um, and um, we kind of trained each other and he was like, it's fine. It's fine. And I'm like, but neighbors, and it was just like, because I was primal screaming for like 10 minutes. And when you do that, like in a neighborhood, in a suburb, you know, like there's actual <laughs> things to worry about. Yeah. So like, that's why we need like, you know, temples. And we need places like away where people can primal scream for 10 or 15 minutes. And that's fine <laughs> because we need to do that because I purged. I mean, I did 10 years of therapy in those 15 minutes. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the TV show therapies when they're like, you finally get to the point where you get mad at your father, you know? And it's like, that's the therapy session. I did like every single one of those things for everything that was never said. Wow. You know? Yeah, that was a, and that, I mean, that took a long time to integrate. And I, I still don't even feel like it's fully integrated, you know, because it was such a shift of everything that I thought that I knew. Yeah. And it, like, at least with DM or with NN for me, like, 
I don't feel like we can comprehend all of it. So to like integrate all of it is sort of, at least like until, you know, maybe you're pretty experienced with it and, you know, um, have a few journeys, but it feels like a lot of it is incomprehensible, you know, like you just can't. It's literally incomprehensible. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's literally outside of the realm of understanding, Mm -hmm. literally, because we can't see it because we are blocking it. You know, it's like, I don't even have a good analogy. Well, I mean, we, we only have so many senses and, you know, so many things that we can detect without, you know, obviously machines and stuff. So like, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Oh, fuck yeah. Like we just, and maybe these substances help us tune into those things. You know, it sure seems like it anyway, like with LSD, it sure, it seems like I just have a microscope into whatever I, you know, whatever part hurts. Like I can, I can visually see the damages to my jaw and my ear as I'm like, you know, laying down, fixing them. It's crazy. Look up up network chiropractic if you haven't already. I don't know if it's called the same thing in Canada, but um, that's the kind of work that they do. They, they really feel into those, like those blockages that you're talking about. um, And they move them, they move them on other people. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll have to check that out. Um, my girlfriend, she's uh, kind of, she's getting into uh, Reiki. So oh, cool. she's done a couple courses now. And, you know, while I'm tripping every once in a while, she'll do like a Reiki thing on me. Nice. And yeah. wow, I didn't think it would um, influence my trip that much. Yeah. But it really does. Like, it, yeah. I just feel it so much. And like, I don't know sometimes I have to open my eyes and just like bring myself back because it just feels like she's just in there like just moving everything around and like the first time it felt like she was like yeah just right in there and like opening up these really sensitive spots and I was like there's actually one point where I was like okay okay we're getting a little deep here you know like, yeah, yeah I'm so um, attached I've, to that hang on a minute <laughs> yeah it felt it's like part of who I think I am yeah, yeah almost like yeah. intrusive in a way but I was like okay okay you know like I, I trust yeah. it is a thing so um, yeah, and then and this then, and then the, the thing to be asking yourself while you're going through that is am I willing to let this go like mm-hmm. is this thing willing to go sorry yeah. go ahead yeah. No. And then this last time that she did it, like um, the first time I was laying on my stomach and she was sort of over mm-hmm. my back doing it. And then this last time she was over my stomach doing it. And like, I, oh, I, I felt like this knot in, I think must be in my intestines, like just like unravel. And I nice. just felt it like gurgle, like really crazy. And like, yeah, it's, it's wild what these energies yeah. that like you don't even see, you know, and yeah. just moving them around and stuff. And with these and, cheat codes i think it's really possible to actually like tune in you know the cheat codes of psychedelics that's what i like the cheat codes for like meditation and getting nice. into that like that, uh, that yeah. realm well that network chiropractic that i'm talking about is basically what happens when you marry reiki with physiology so you know they're like they're trained chiropractor like people that are also doing energy work okay yeah yeah yeah, that's that's super interesting. Check yeah, that out. it's fascinating. That's that's the healing modality that I know that I need. I've experienced it a couple of times, but I, I experienced it in a group setting, and I needed to be experiencing it in a shamanic setting. Like right. I I need somebody to be holding shamanic like space for me to go through this for the same reason that you just described. Of hey, you're getting a little bit deep there, because yes. I, I I have allowed every blockage that isn't a shamanic level release 
let go already. <laughs> like all I'm holding still is all just the, the primary traumas. Yeah, like you've done the work that you can kind of, and now it's, exactly. Yeah. I've done eighty percent of the work, and the rest of it, I need somebody else that can move this stuff to go. Are you ready to let this go now? And then they do their thing, you yeah. know. And then my job is just to give to give them permission and to truly let it go. Yeah, that's my, at- that's my job at that point. But it's hard. It's the same thing as like holding the pipe to get the full release dose. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do that. You know, you can't get as deep into the medicine as you can get and still have a hand and awareness of a lighter. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's like that last little bit, you need somebody else. You're at that part of your back that you can't scratch. Right. And somebody else to scratch it. Yeah. You need, you need the person. Yeah. And that's why we need these healers helping healers heal houses so that we can all, because I mean, how many wounded healers do you know? I mean... I don't know who you circle with, but I know so many wounded healers and everybody does just a tiny bit of, of damage, you know, mm-hmm. um, the work that they do that other people then have to go clean up. I feel like that's sort of one of the things that we're going to have to deal with, with, I don't know, people being life coaches that don't really have exactly. the experience to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I do. Which is the reason that I haven't been charging people all this time Yeah, because you know, I was going to be a life coach 20 years ago and, um, yeah, no, <laughs> I didn't fucking know anything yeah. and until I got to the point where I knew I didn't fucking know anything. I wasn't useful to anybody, but once you get to the point where you know that you don't know anything, it's like, how can I possibly charge for this? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, you're completely right. I, I think that's, people, that's a, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, all those people who go through that training program that I was imagining that would give them the spa- those other pieces that they need in order to be mm-hmm. truly useful. But th- that would require experiencing it themselves, right? Like doing these entheogens and... Uh, you know, I, I am of the belief that, that they, they, are, they are a tool, not the tool. Um, I think you can absolutely do all the work absolutely necessary without any of the entheogens. Um, I, I don't know why you would, but I think you can. <laughs> I more so mean to be a, um, like a, a psychedelic therapist of sorts. Like I, I, I personally, that... I think you need the, uh, the experience to be able to like, you know, Oh, this is happening within their mind sort of, you know, like with psychedelics anyway, just because you don't yeah. like, it's hard to imagine what's happening from people just telling you the story. To have a certain amount of support, like you can do a certain amount of, of, of integration work and helping people um, if you are really, really grounded in the lessons that the psychedelics give you. Okay. Like if you were never broken, right? So if you, if you, if you never, if you always knew that you were connected to the universe, you always knew that you were the universe basically experiencing itself and you always knew blah, blah, blah. And you didn't have anything in your identity file that was corrupt. And you didn't have any trauma that you needed to, to heal from, that your trauma was healed ongoingly as it happened, right? You didn't get stuck with anything. Um, that I think that you'd be able to hold space for people to move through what they're moving through, even if you haven't been there. Okay. <laughs> no, I think that would be rare, but I think you can. Yeah. Yeah, I just... I don't know, at least for some things, you know, like, I don't know, the, the experience for me anyway is something that you can't exactly get from reading about it. You know? Oh, no, completely. I mean, but also like, 
you, you can be a rape counselor without having been raped. You can help people sure. overcome eating disorders without having had an eating disorder. You know, you can study it from enough angles that you can get enough empathy about it, that you can understand the mechanisms that run it, that you can help people move through it. You know, yeah. um, it, it, it's, you connect in a different way if you've been there, of course, um, which is why I think that it's really important to have teams of people doing integration work as opposed to individuals, um, you know, unless they're highly trained. So. Yeah, I guess I'm sort of looking at it, looking at it through the perspective of like, you know, we have ex drug addicts traveling around telling people not to do drugs, you know, because they've been there and they experienced it and like they have a story to tell. And, you know, um, me for like, other than using psychedelics, I, I wouldn't be able to relate to being a drug addict. I've never, you know, been addicted yeah. to smoking or to, you know, anything harder. But you know, I don't know, where was it going with this? Like, and um, how, what you're saying, like, about, like, rape victims, like, you might be able to, like, put yourself in that position or, like, kind of understand what they're going through, but you haven't gone through that, you know? So, like, this is how you do it, but, like, I haven't done it myself. So it's sort of, like, it's theory, you know, in a sense. But yeah. that's that's just the perspective that I had yeah. uh, thought about it. Yeah, and, it, and you're not wrong. I mean, it's it, it, the a, a way to say it where it would be completely true is it's probably much easier to um, than it's necessary to. Yeah, you know, it's it's way easier to relate to where somebody is if you've been there. You know, yeah, like with the, the same, homeless thing, like you're. Yeah, but about. but in the same way that your um, your wife can move, wife or girlfriend. Sorry. Uh, one day she'll be my wife. <laughs> okay, um, so one so your partner being able to move a blockage um, that she doesn't have just because mm -hmm. she can sense where it is and can sense the mechanism that helps it move. Yeah, you know, true. It's, and she can have just as much empathy because she's had a blockage. You know, she's had something that she can correlate with it. You know, what they teach us with the conscious use of self in grad school and in, in the social work program um, is, is exactly how to do that, exactly how you hold space for somebody to move through something. This is not their words, they're mine. Um, to hold space for somebody to move through something that you haven't done, you find something in your in your history that lets you connect in that way. That gives yeah. you some some way into the empathy. Some way um, to relate to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so it could be done. Yeah. Yeah. Because if the only people that could help drug addicts were former drug addicts, we would have a big problem. <laughs> Right? True, very true. <laughs> so because, you know, um, and I've been addicted to smoking and I now have a very healthy relationship with tobacco. I okay. very occasionally want to smoke something and I take a couple of puffs of it and I go, do I like this? Is this do I like the way this is feeling in my body? I'm noticing it. And I, you know, I, I bought a pack of cigarettes actually um, as I was driving across the country this time and I smoked like eight of them. Um, and then I gave the pack away and I haven't thought about it until just now. So, um, but I was completely addicted for a really long time. I smoked my first cigarette when I was a young teenager. Um, I was completely addicted for a very long time and then completely strictly couldn't touch it, couldn't smell it, couldn't be around it for double that. Like, you know, I, I spent half my life addicted and half my life avoiding it until just a few years ago. Um, so I have tons of empathy for anybody stuck in any destructive pattern that can help them break out of it. Um, I, I got that calculation depth because I lived it, but I can now teach that to somebody else who can watch enough people break their patterns that they won't need to live it. 
Right. Does so, that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So would you feel more comfortable going through something like uh, some sort of uh, integration process with somebody who has done psychedelics? Would that, you know, is, is that something that it depends on what work almost like a degree you know what i mean yeah i mean it depends on what work needs to happen so if i'm trying to understand what i saw then i want somebody who's seen it right. um, if i'm trying to understand what that means they don't need to have seen it okay yeah it, you know if i need to have if i need to know how to restructure my identity files so that i can walk through this world without walking into buses or like getting slapped then they don't need to have known what i went through they just need to ha know how to hold space for me to walk through it Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, when I was trying to figure out what the hell I saw, like when I was trying to understand the words of there's energy and there's commentary and there's no commentator, I definitely needed people who had seen what I saw because right. like, otherwise who the hell would understand what the hell I'm talking about? You know, <laughs> yeah, definitely. That, like that was important for sure. And I went to a bunch of people and I'm like, so this is my experience. Can you help me understand this? you know, and, and their experience was vital. But yeah, I feel like we can have, I feel like we should have a certification program that has two tracks. One, where you have the, the rooting in the psychology and the philosophy, and one where you have rooting in the experiential. Yeah, because um, like you said, it's that. both helpful. Yeah, and the first year is coming up with like, you know, the missing pieces of what you're doing. And the second year is like, now what? you know, and really the integration work that you then come together from your, your, you know, all the different understandings. But in the meantime, we're giving you the pieces that you're missing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And I think probably everybody should have one entheogenic session of some sort where we take people through the process from beginning to end and whatever they're most comfortable doing, mm -hmm. you know, but, but that could be, it could be ayahuasca, it could be weed, it could be, you know, psilocybin, it could be anything, really, whatever people feel most called to do. I think that should probably be a requirement. I think you should have, I think you should have an experience of going through the, the effects of whatever it is and coming out of it and know what coming down feels like and, and things like that. Cause otherwise you wouldn't. Yeah. Especially like if you've had a bad trip and like, you know what it's like to, I don't know, yeah. be screaming at the top of your lungs for 10 minutes or like I had a really scary time loop trip that I was alone during it. Yeah. And I had my bong with the changa in it and then I had my vape pen. So I like smoked the bong and then I was like, I had the vape pen just in case, you know, I wasn't high enough or whatever. Yeah. Then I was like, okay, like the visuals are cool and stuff, but it's not quite there. So I was like, I'm going to take this hit. And then I opened my eyes and it sort of felt like the room was saying no, you know, it was like sort of going left and right. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. don't do it. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. And then, yep. so I did it. And like, as soon as I did it, it's like this red exclamation mark started flashing right in front of my eyes. And then this the entity, yeah, and this entity popped up and is like, yeah. you didn't learn your lesson. And then like these walls came down around my like living room. I was like, what the fuck? And I stood up and I knocked over my bong. And then this, the exclamation mark turned into like the green infinity logo. And he's yeah. like, you're here till you learn your lesson. And then all of a sudden I was okay. back in the couch. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I stood up and I knocked over my bong again and I'm back in the couch and it just looped. And yeah, I like, wow. I have a really anxious dog. And I looked yeah. over at him and he was just like frozen on the couch. It's like, yeah. what's happening? I was like, I have to go get Holly because she was sleeping upstairs. And then all of a sudden I'm back in the couch. I was like, Jesus, <laughs> like it just wow. kept looping. And, yeah. But like, you know, 
if I had somebody there to just say, you know, you're okay, then I would have been like, and like took an, or I wouldn't have been able to understand them. But I feel like I would have just like calmed down or, you know, if I felt a hand on my shoulder, you know, something like that. But yeah, yeah, I was just gone. And I feel like that experience would really help me like calm somebody else down. And like I had a friend over Uh and we were, we were doing DMT and it was his first time. And I went first and I took it and I was like really calm about it because I've done it a few times. And yeah. so he was kind of co- like a little bit cocky doing it. And like me, I I take a while to be able to do it because I'm anxious and like I know how powerful it is and I respect it a lot. And so I, I take a little bit, but then he did it like right away. And then like he took the full lung and then he's like sitting up and like yeah. I, I lay down right away and he's like, oh shit. And then he sort of like laid yeah. down and like, you know, he wasn't ready for it. And then he wasn't breathing like he yeah. was really shallow breath and I saw him like open his eyes in a panic and he he looked at me I was like it's okay just breathe and then he started doing deep breaths and then he just closed his eyes and he was gone you know so I don't know I don't like doing it alone anymore just for that reason you know um just to have somebody there yeah but um I only do small doses of things by myself I don't otherwise I don't do yeah I would probably do a psilocybin trip by myself I guess but you know I I so much comes up to be cleared and I get these such amazing downloads that I really want somebody around me who wants the downloads more than anything else. So to be able to talk about them too, or. Yeah. Well, I mean like, you know, I just gave you, I don't know, like 50 different downloads, I guess, in this Mm -hmm. (laughs) talking almost three hours. Um, But um, you know, I, this is, if I have any amount of anything in me, but I mean, I, I smoked a tiny bit of weed while we were talking, but if I have anything more in me than that, then the universe just uses me to speak its truth, you know, and it just needs to come out. Um, so I, I need somebody around that wants those downloads, that wants those downloads, that wants to help, like that wants, that wants to integrate those things, um, that wants to take on that work, you know, because so, otherwise I feel like it's like a waste almost, right. you know, like there's, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like sand art if you're doing it by yourself, you know, it's like you want somebody to witness it before it gets washed away. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, It's very much like like sand art. So then would you prefer somebody tripping with you or just having a sitter, somebody to hold space? It doesn't matter. Um, Usually when, when I'm, when it's the reverse, when I'm holding space for somebody else, I usually do a micro dose of whatever they're doing or not a micro, but like a mini, you know, like a mini dose where I'm feeling it, but I'm not, you know, just a a handshake dose. (laughs) So yeah. Um, that's how I prefer it. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. It depends on how well they handle their stuff and, right. and what it is. So, I mean, I'll smoke weed pretty much, and that's plenty for me to get into whatever residence I need to get it into. That's my medicine. So, yeah, I feel like if I ever did um, get into whatever therapy um, or guiding or whatever, I feel like I would want a little bit of it as well. Um, yeah. Just to like, not get on the same level but you know at least be in the same pool you know and yeah totally. they're in the deep end you're in the shallow end but you know yeah. you're there you're feeling the temperature of the water and everything it's not boiling yeah. water blah 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 you know yeah it's kind of like a lifeguard is like got their yeah. feet in the water you know mm-hmm. or i guess they don't always but you know they've got yeah. their shorts on <laughs> they've got their shorts on exactly. they're ready yeah. totally and they've been in the water yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm, what else? It was three hours and three minutes when I looked down and I said, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Do, do you feel like, uh, keep going? Do you have more to talk about? 
we can always have um, another session if uh, another talk down the road if so I can want. talk for hours and hours and hours um I don't know do you have any more questions did I fill in all the blanks mm, let's see I think I uh, didn't we were talking about you were talking about the red exclamation point I had all I had a such a similar experience where it was like almost the same visual it was okay. just like red it was just like you know, it was like the roller coaster pulled up and it was like, this is your one chance. Are you going to get on the roller coaster or not? <laughs> and I'm like, let me get on. But I didn't bother to strap myself in and I didn't bother to even pay attention to how, like, I just just got on it, you know? And then I was not ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have learned to absolutely have the conversation where are you ready to let go of whatever wants to go? Or are you going to hold on to it? Because if you're going to hold on to it while it wants to go, that's going to be a bad trip, you know? And I had a very difficult five experience because I, I was trying to prove something. You know, the person I, the person that I was doing medicine with, had some sort of idea that if you get to a certain place, that you're more enlightened or whatever. And I had internalized that because I wanted to be the good girl and I wanted to, you know, I, I, I just wanted, I wanted the ego boost that I was going to get, and I was doing it for egoic reasons. And because I was doing it for egoic reasons, it really slapped me hard. Um, but I just went and put myself in the shower and I just finished the experience in the shower and that was good. It was nice and grounding. I had lots of fun insights. It was just a good shower. Um, yeah. Showers are awesome while tripping. Showers okay. are awesome. They're great That's... for coming down to LSD too. Yeah. I, I usually do it like, um, I'll drop and then I'll go to the washroom, clear out the old system and then just like hop in the shower and be you know, ready for the eight hours. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I really like doing it when you've like, you've gotten to the end, you're like, okay, food is a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, food. Let me think about, wait, nourishment. I, okay. I need to eat something. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And then a shower. That's usually my, my, my end game. Yeah. I like to shower at the end too. It's a two shower day. Yeah. Trip nights usually. Cause I mean, I'd like you, you sweat. Water, and, but, yeah. Huh? You like, I don't know, I, I, my body temperature rises and I like sweat and like, you know, yeah. I kind of feel gross at the end of it. So it's good to yeah, rinse I, off. I'm going to and... take a shower after this. I feel that way about going through this. I was so yeah. nervous. <laughs> yeah. Well. And now it's like, oh, it's almost over. All right. I guess yeah. I went through it. I was present. Well, so. I hope it was all right. I hope. Yeah. I don't, I don't regret anything I said. I, I checked and that was, so I had all this anxiety going into it and I started to feel myself panicking and I kept noticing that I was saying, I am anxious. And it was like, okay, I'm putting into my identity file that I'm anxious. I'm making this worse. I can see that I'm making this worse. Do I like that? And it was like, okay, well, no, I don't really like that. I like the, I like the feeling of the drama. I like feeling like I can call people and say I'm nervous and then get the support. Like, do I actually need to do that to people? Or can I just, you know, reach out to people and, and get the, like, you know, I was going through all of this stuff in my head. And, um, and then I finally got to the point. I said, well, okay, so does future, does present me need to do anything for future me so that this goes well? And I said, well, this isn't like studying for a test. There's nothing present me can do other than be present and breathe. I said, do we need a strategy? And I said, well, I said, I can just ask my inner knowing thingy if it's okay to say things that feel hard to say. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I relaxed a little bit. And I stopped saying I was anxious. I was still anxious, but I stopped saying it. So I wasn't making it worse. Yeah, I, I liked that uh, thing you shared on Facebook about like the past me and like, you know, thank you past me or, you know, yep. like doing stuff for future you sort of thing. And that was actually one of the ideas that I got while tripping one time. Whereas, me like, too. Yeah. yeah? Like I, yeah, I, was... I didn't get it from the comic. Somebody sent me the comic because it's a thing I did. 
Oh yeah? yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was, um, I don't know. I was getting ready to get into bed or whatever to, you know, trip in the dark and I had stuff in my hands and I was like, okay, um, if I set this here, then I'll go downstairs, I'll smoke and like, you know, future me won't have to deal with, you know, picking it back up and bringing uh-huh. it upstairs and like, it'll all be ready. It's yeah. like, and then like, sometimes I'll like forget that I packed a bowl and then, you know, oh, thanks past me and I'll have a bowl there ready for exactly. me to smoke. And like, yeah, it's just a cool way to think about it and just sort of like set yourself up for success. Yeah. Learn from your mistakes and stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. I think that the first, one of the first times I had tripped, I had made myself a snack um, for if I was feeling like I needed whatever. And I remember going to the refrigerator and opening it and being like, oh my God, past me, I love you so much. Thank you so much for knowing who I was going to be right now. Like, yeah. And I just like sat on my knees and cried and thanked past me for this extraordinary experience that present me was then able to be present to. And ever since then, I've just been doing that. Like, you know, but especially like I, I live alone and I'm, I'm, I haven't been in a relationship for like a really long time. And, um, you know, I, I have to take care of me, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like I, I, having our love languages spoken to us is really important. And one of my love languages, my favorite love language is to give and receive as acts of service. Okay. So I get to all day long speak my love language as acts of service and then receive the acts of service. So I'm, I'm very well known for this. That, that, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that we both got it from the same kind of experience, though. I mean, I guess it's the only time that you're that excited about something. That, I like, guess so. Eh? You go into that deep of gratitude is, is, you know, when you've got something, when having you shift your perspective. You yeah. Know? And it's, it's, it's a weird feeling to be like thankful for something you did. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even this last trip I had, um I came downstairs I was like oh and a hoot I was like oh did I did I like grind any because like I hate grinding while I'm super high because it's super yeah. hard and you know it takes a while but and then I opened my grinder I was like oh thank god <laughs> you know I thank totally you. packed myself a bowl because I told you if we went after an hour I was going to want to smoke one I packed it yeah <laughs> nice. I did the same thing yeah yeah but, preparing um, for the future yeah no what's interesting though is because when you're tripping you let go of your identity file so often you know you are not, by the time you receive that thing, you are not the person that left it there. Yeah. Like, yeah, because you know, you're in the present. So, like, yeah. you're not really that person anymore. That was, yeah. Yeah. Or, you, or you've integrated so many new experiences that you're like version you, you know, like 3.4 instead of 3.3, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had the um, experience of like feeling like you're almost going to be replaced by a better version of yourself? Um, I, I intentionally lean into upgrades. I intentionally lean into that. So, um, not as, not the experience of that's going to happen unwillingly. Um, although maybe, maybe that happened the first time and then I didn't fight it. And then I started doing it intentionally. I don't remember. Yeah. Cause I, I've had these experiences where it just like, I don't know. I think it might be from the visuals that I see from like my damaged ears and stuff, but it just, um, I don't know, feels like it's almost like pushing my consciousness out or something. And I don't know, it, it feels yes. like it's just like, I don't know, maybe this is maybe me, like maybe I'm something that it has to like wash away or something. Yes. And yes. Uh, I don't know, I get you this weird feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes, indeed. 
yeah, completely accurate. I mean, the thing that, and here's the thing is, is, is the, the reason that I say that you can do the work without the entheogens is because what the entheogens do is they help you shift the perspective from the I am the thing that I think that I am to I am some other perspective. Okay, so, yeah. you know, you get to be the witnesser of the thing that you think that you are because the entheogen puts you there. So from that perspective, what you're saying makes total sense. But yeah. you're just using the entheogen as a tool to make it easier. What you notice is that the thing that you think that you are is the thing that is blocking you from everything you want because you have decided, you've put into your identity file that you cannot have the thing that you want and that you're unlocking this achievement of letting that go so that it can flow to you because the only reason it's not is because you think it can't. Again, yeah, so, a thing you don't tell somebody when they're in the middle of it. Yeah, but, so yeah. like you've kind of closed off your mind to the idea that it's different. And then this is like yeah. opening up your mind. Maybe this is better. Maybe I can remember names. Maybe I'm, right. you know. Or when people are in scarcity mentality, so that they, so that all that's present for them is scarcity. When you shift out of the scarcity mentality, that what's present for you is what is, and what is is abundance. So it's just misallocated. Yeah, one thing that I've sort of, I don't know, started trying to integrate is sort of seeing life as just simple math problems. You know, yeah. like I want, you know, whatever in a number value. I want ten, and you know. I have, you know, a five and anything I've been doing is, you know, the thing that I've been doing is maybe a four. So I'm, I'm just in the cycle of getting a nine, but I want a 10, you know? And then, so like, maybe I just have to alter what I'm doing, turn that to a, a five, whatever that might be. And then five plus five equals 10, you know, that's how I have to sure. get, yeah. to, you know, just like yeah. changing, making it into a math problem, finding out you know, where the problem is and then changing that so that I'm getting what I want, getting equaling what I'm trying to get. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And it sounds like the work that I was doing after Ama the Hugging Guru when I was trying to figure out how to get out of the broke mentality, where I right. was just, I was figuring out the equations that got me what I wanted without understanding the mechanism and how it worked. Okay. So, and I still don't understand the mechanism and how it works. However, um, you know how you find like principles of math that are like, you know, you find things that are always true. Mm -hmm. um, there's a thing that's always true and that if you're not willing to resonate with the number that you're imagining, then you're not going to resonate with the number that you're imagining because your, your permissions have something to do with it. Right. So, um, so being willing to resonate with 10, if that's what you want, um, is a prerequisite of it flowing easily. So like not allowing yourself to, I guess, limit yourself or whatever? Sure, if you're going to use a double negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. I, I kind of no, changed what I was going to say halfway through that. But, um... Yeah, no, it's, a, it's another way of saying what I was saying, but from yeah. the other perspective. Um, it's it's a being willing, like at a cellular level, like not just, oh, yeah, I'm willing. It's like really believing that you're willing, right. you know, to, to, to be identified with the resonance of the thing that you want. Yeah. I think something like that. I said something earlier that like got past my lips before it got through the check. And I had said something that had a qualifier in it that I would take back if I could remember what it was. But <laughs> I try well, to be very precise with my language because I think it unpacks better. And I think it works better in the verbal acupuncture way that it like, that really targets programming. Um, to be able to get like what you're saying across. 
in the way you yeah, want to say it. Yeah, but very precisely. It's the difference between, you know, saying it with a very blunt needle and saying it with a very small, sharp needle. Okay, yeah. yeah. You know, like blunt needles hurt and small, sharp needles, like, really get to the point. Right. It's not yeah, good. Too right. it. Sorry, that pun just set itself up. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe we should end it on a pun. <laughs> I, I love puns. <laughs> uh yeah three three hours 15 minutes that's that's plenty for an episode plenty and yeah. uh yeah um i'll put your links in the description i'm definitely going to want to check out your um the things that you've written and um, yeah i'll send them to you and yeah i'm, I'm interested in this verbal verbal acupuncture as well yeah me too i'm and i'm super happy to to try to teach it to you so let's yeah talk. yeah yeah, de yeah definitely yeah, thanks so much for being on here. I hope I hope it was for good for you. Me. It's my first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're a great guest. I appreciate all your insight and thanks. you know, talking about all the things you talked about. It's been great. I, I can't imagine anything better except doing this around a campfire, honestly. So That's true. That's yeah, true. That's the only way that could make this better. This is like <laughs> this is life giving for me. I feel much better too. Awesome. I'm glad. Yeah. Glad. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your day. I'll Thanks. see. I don't know when I'll be able to edit this and get it up. I've got two that I'm working on right now as well. But um, okay. yeah. That's awesome. great. Yeah, we'll keep Thanks. in contact. Okay. Yeah, great. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Bonnie. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show and check out all the conversations with the awesome guests we've had in the past. Don't forget to check out philosopherbonnie.com and follow Philosopher Bonnie on Instagram. If you have anything you'd like to share in the podcast, please email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com or send a message on Facebook or Instagram. The best way to support Two Temples is by sharing the show with friends and on social media. Thanks, Bonnie, for sharing, and thank you for listening. Ciao for now.